For more than a decade, Saturdays and Illegal Curve have been synonymous with one another. With insight, analysis, and interviews regarding the Winnipeg Jets, the Manitoba Moose, and all around the NHL, here are Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg, and your host, Drew Mandel. The Illegal Curve Hockey Show starts now. Good morning, Winnipeg. Good morning, Manitoba. For all those joining us live this morning on our YouTube channel and all of our social media platforms, we say good morning, universe, and welcome to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. A beautiful Saturday morning, Winnipeg Jets home opener later this afternoon. It's going to be a busy day chock full of illegal curve we got two hours of jets talk for you this morning and then of course later on this evening we have the illegal curve post game show following the jets and the panthers i say good morning to dave i say good morning to ezzy i'm your host drew mandel let's get started talking about the winnipeg jets gentlemen good morning great drew to see you this morning haven't seen you of course since wednesday when we were at boston pizza taylor avenue thanks to so many of you who joined us live at Boston Pizza, great time. More details on the next live on location show from Illegal Curve coming up shortly. But great to see both of you on this Saturday morning. Yeah, absolutely, boys. It's been a while since we've had a Saturday, which uh, where we have the morning show and then we have a, a, a game later in the day, right? And it happens to be a mid afternoon game. So, morning to Dom Zapia and everybody else who's joining us live and who's going to be possibly listening on the podcast. And yeah, I mean, we broke down the game. I mean, we'll probably touch on it a little bit, right, guys? But I mean, that was a game in which you thought the Jets were probably going to get at least a point, right? After Mark Shifley tied it up late in the third period. And, you know, unfortunately, they weren't able to get a point there. But I, I think if you're the Jets, you have to be really happy with the way you played. I mean, all of the advanced metrics were in, in the Jets' favor. The shot volume was there. The top line of Shifley, Connor, and Velarde was excellent. I thought... The Perfetti line was also good. We saw the Jets rolling four lines. Um, the power play looked good, even though they weren't able to, to score a goal. But yeah, I mean, you've got a Panthers team that's coming in here. They lost their first game, and they're without Aaron Ekblad mm -hmm. and, and Brandon Montour. So that's your two best defensemen there from your Stanley Cup final run, right? So, um, you know, anytime Paul Maurice is going to be back in town, you know, it's there's going to be a little bit of extra pomp and circumstance. But uh, obviously the Jets want to... Uh, you know, make their improve their record to one and one with a big uh, win in their home opener. Yeah, absolutely, Dave. Um, as he's right, is, you know, you don't want to, you know, overemphasize uh, how important, uh, you know, the second game of the season is because clearly it's not a must win or anything, any nonsense like that. But this mm -hmm. is a good opportunity for the Jets uh, facing a Florida Panthers team that is not at full strength. And it's unlikely that I believe the Jets will see the Panthers at full strength. Uh, they go to Florida next month. And I don't believe that uh, Ekblad and Montour are expected back at, by that point in time. So this is an opportunity for the Winnipeg Jets. Just quickly, again. Drew, apparently they're they're supposed to be out for around 20 to 30 games. Like it's both yeah. shoulders for them. I know Ekblad had off-season shoulder surgery. I'm not sure if Montour had the surgery, but it's it's shoulder, but it's also something else for Ekblad. The long playoff run, guys, I mean, we've talked about it in years past. Sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, you 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 are relatively unscathed, but with Montour and Ekblad, um, they're gonna miss a, a, a good, you know, third or so of the season. And, you know, you hope that they're still in a playoff spot, but th those guys, I mean, those are the two guys on your, on your back end that you don't want to be without. So just wanted to get that in there that it's, it's going to be longer term um, and they probably won't be back till late November, early December, something like that. 
Exactly right. So to my point, the, the Jets are going to face the Panthers this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is not a full-strength Florida Panthers team. Uh, they're going to face them probably in November as well, Dave. I'm not going to be a full-strength Florida Panthers team. But from the Jets' perspective, they are, uh, well, with the exception of Billy Hainala, and you can say if that's full-strength or not, but Nikolai Ehlers, who there was some concern about following Wednesday's game when he went hard into the boards, at, uh, you know, yeah. trying to prevent the empty net goal, uh, ultimately that didn't, uh, that, you know, that, that he was unsuccessful in doing so but the Jets are at full strength everyone healthy everyone accounted for at practice you were there uh last uh yesterday in in on uh Portage Avenue what did you see when the Jets were on the ice yesterday uh full contingent they had everybody out including Nikolai Ehlers and then after practice uh head coach Rick Bowen has told us that uh, there were no injury concerns with respect to Nikolai Ehlers which of course is music to Jets fans ears to see him miss all almost all of training camp and then to uh potentially get injured in the fir- the pretty much a meaningless play with six and a half seconds to go in the third period of a game that was over. Uh, you know, that would have been pretty disastrous from a Jets perspective, given what happened uh, last year and all that sort of thing. So uh, the Jets need Nikolai Ehlers to be healthy and they need him to be effective and they need their team who, as, as he touched on, were really effective to continue to do what they did. The Florida Panthers, uh, that was the talk of yesterday, was were in a feeling in a similar mode because they got goalied by Gustafson in Minnesota, and it seemed like their feelings were that they deserved that win because they controlled the play, much like the Jets did against the Calgary Flames, but didn't come away with the two points. So uh, you know that Florida is not going to want to start the season 0-2. The Jets also similarly don't want to start the season 0-2, so you're expecting a, a pretty good tilt from these two these two clubs. Um, you know, obviously no history there. Uh, we're not going to go back to the Southeast Division, Ezzy, and, and, and think about <laughs> oh, those you're days. You're aging yourself. Well, we've been remember we've those been, six o'clock starts, boys. Those first couple of years, like they're like five remember, o'clock here. I remember like work was over and I had like you know ten or fifteen minutes to get to the rink, but there were a lot of six o'clock central starts. There were five o'clock starts because remember there like there were sometimes it was crazy. I just remember like the you're just like oh god, this is so early. And now of course we're at nine o'clock, ten o'clock. Yeah. Seven, what is it? Next Saturday is seven forty-five or whatever it is. When every no, not in Saturday. When is it next Wednesday? Whatever it is that where the, the, where all thirty two teams are playing and it's staggered like it's uh, like the Jets are playing like a seven forty five game or something like that. I think oh. it's the St Louis it's, it's the St Louis game. I think it's on the Tuesday where all the NHL teams are playing, but they've basically Dave. We're only capable to think about the game in front of us. I want to say, say Dave's you know, looking. Uh, Dave's looking way not ahead. Me. I, we were, it was just a discussion. One game at a time, Dave M. One game was, at a time. It was a discussion in the press box yesterday. But anyways, let's let's get back to the focus of the Jets and the, the message. And the message was that you know from Josh Morrissey and Adam Lowry, the two guys who spoke after practice yesterday, was just that. They want to keep doing what they were doing because they were fairly successful with the way they played and they were happy with the way they played. Uh, there were a few things that Rick Bonus wanted them to clean up in terms of coverage, but and we saw that in a couple of instances, obviously, that they got burnt in the game against the Flames. But for the most part, I think overall, the, the, the tenor of the messaging was that the team, the coaching staff were happy with the game against the Flames, obviously not with the outcome, but with the, uh, or with the result, but with the way the general, in general, the team played and that they're hoping to keep that going today, this afternoon against the Florida Panthers. Well, that's just it. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the Jets played, uh, uh, you know, by all accounts, by all, you know, metrics, uh, except for the one that counts, the Jets played a very solid game on Wednesday night, much like the Panthers did, as Dave mentioned. I mean, I believe they outshot the Minnesota Wild something like 41 to 21. Yeah. Uh, it, it was it was also a one-sided game. So if you're thinking that you know the Florida Panthers are you know are are going to necessarily take a step back because 
of uh, the injury issues on their back end. Well, they're still pretty loaded up front, Desi. Anytime mm-hmm. you can still roll out guys like Sasha didn't Matthew Kachuk have like Drew, didn't Matthew Kachuk? I think he had ten shots and fifteen yes. shot attempts. Something like that. He was a one-man uh, wrecking crew. So you know, this the- really was a carbon copy because Velarde had eight or nine shots, right? Yeah, I so mm-hmm. I mean, both teams badly outshot the opposition, but still lost the game. Yeah, it was it was a unique uh, instance for both teams. So you can understand how both teams might have a little bit of a sour taste in their mouth or a taste of saying, look, if our game resembles how it looked in game one of the season, we're going to be in an OK position. Now, there, of course, won't be any sort of uh, morning skate uh, today for either team because of the, uh, the the time frame. But I mean, I think it would be safe to assume that you're going to have, you know, Connor Hellebuck against Sergei Bobrovsky. It'll be the uh, exact same lineup that. Yeah. That was against Calgary. I don't I don't th- I don't think anybody's expecting, you know, Logan Stanley to go in the lineup or 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 you know David Gustafson to, to go in the lineup, even though I think both Stanley and Gustafson would like to go in the lineup. And I, I just wanted to mention one thing too, because we talked about Paul Maurice's return. Yeah, but it's also Jamie Compon's return. And I wanted to give him a shout out. I don't know if you guys saw this. The St. James Junior Canucks won the MMJHL title. And uh, Jamie Compon was there. I guess they were they were getting their MMJHL rings, but I saw there were pictures of of Jamie congratulating the the Canucks. So just wanted to say that that's pretty awesome because you know Jamie was here for how many years, guys? Like was it five, oh, six years? Certainly. Um, and he made a lot of friends in in Manitoba. So just Jamie's a, always been a great guy. I think you know Dave would agree with all of his dealings with with the Jets and and the Moose. And just wanted to get that in there. But also a couple familiar faces with. Kevin Stenland as yeah. the fourth line center right now for the Florida Panthers and our good friend Dmitry Kulikov <laughs> playing second pair minutes right now for the Florida Panthers with Ekblad and, and Montour out. So obviously, you know, this defense isn't, uh, you know, isn't very good when you take out those two, but you know, Gustav Forsling's a good defenseman. I mean, Oliver Ekman Larson, I had to do a double take. Like I honestly forgot that he was on the Panthers. I don't know about you guys, but like, uh, that was something that I completely forgot about with the buyout from uh, the Vancouver, Vancouver Canucks. But obviously, you know, the Jets with their speed and the fact that they're rolling four lines, you have to think, for me at least, Drew, that's a strength and something the Jets can capitalize on. It's not the most mobile defense. Like, let's be honest here. Yeah. Uh, you know, Kulikov, I mean, he's seen better days. Well, if, if you had said that Dmitry Kulikov, you know, when he left Winnipeg, however many years ago that was, is going to be playing a significant role. He's been on, on like a, five or six teams since the Jets. I, I know. I mean, teams just keep signing him. You know, he's 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 a the I guess the definition of grizzled veteran. But you're absolutely right, Ezzy, that the Jets, you know, with a weak Florida Panthers back end or a weaker or a weakened, depending on uh, you know which which word you want to use, Florida Panthers back end and the Jets' new ability, seemingly, to be able to roll those sort of more balanced lineups out, they should be able to take advantage uh, of that. But, you know, to the same point, though, the fact that Florida was so one-sided against the Minnesota Wild, I think it should also be uh, a good wake-up that they're not just going to roll over and say, woe is us, because of the defensive issues that that they're facing. Not that you would expect them to. But you look at that back end, and it is not a who's who of household names there. I mean, Oliver Ekman-Larsen has probably got the the most well-known of their defense, but... You know, it's been a long time since Oliver ekman Larson was really effective when he was in his prime with the Arizona Coyotes. Seems like we were long... talking about that for years, right? Like yeah. the Coyotes cha- trading Oliver ekman Larson. He's just his better days are, are behind him, and you yeah. know, good for him that he's getting. Like he's not a top pairing defenseman anymore, but because as we talked about, Ekblad and Montour are out. 
he's getting mm-hmm. that opportunity. I mean, I, I think an argument could be made that at this point in his career, Ekman Larson's more of a third pairing defenseman just based on his, you know, defensive and offensive impact. We should mention too, Drew, Sam Bennett is not on the road trip. So he's not playing uh, this afternoon as well. And so you're going to see some new faces. Like we were talking about it um, right before we came on air, like Mackie Samsukovic, if I'm pronouncing that right. Matthew Maskey Samsukovic is a first rounder from 2021, uh, played for the University of Michigan with Adam Fantilli. So that's for Jets fans, Samsukovic is on the left wing on the second line. He's mm-hmm. a guy that you should look out for. He's got a lot of offensive upside, but uh, there's a lot of depth on this Panthers team. But like those are three key players out of the lineup. And again, you mentioned it, Drew, the, the Panthers badly outshot the Wild in a losing effort. Um, but this is definitely not a, a full Panthers lineup that the Jets are going to see this afternoon. No, I would agree with that. What do you want to see from the Winnipeg Jets? I mean, we, we, we've been, you know, generally speaking, Dave, and we've been full of praise for the Jets based on their Wednesday effort, notwithstanding the final score, which is all that ultimately matters. But, you know, from the Jets perspective, you know, is there anything more that you want to that you want to see from them? You know, I, I mean, from, you know, if I was picking something and you can feel free to piggyback on this or, or jump sure. off of it completely, I would say uh, the defense needs to step up. I thought the offense was, was fine in game one, but the defense, and we've talked about it, and you, you don't want to pile on uh, Nate Schmidt uh, with his, uh, you know, the poor decision towards the end of the game. But, mm-hmm. you know, you you want to see sort of, I think, a, a more concerted defensive effort in their own zone from my perspective. Yeah, no, I don't think there's any question about it. And and we saw it on, I think it was, it was the first or second goal where the, the forwards weren't necessarily back the way they needed to be. I mm-hmm. think it was the Kyle Connor play where Shifley The shorthanded like, goal. The shorthanded one where Shifley backchecked like crazy and the, the rest were not to the same degree. But anyways, look, you definitely, you can always isolate the plays, the bad ones. And, and that's, you know, we're, that's what we do here when we analyze the game and see where, <laughs> where things went wrong. And, and, but I mean, overall, that game against the Flames, if you can carbon copy that and play that 82 games of the year, and that's the biggest thing for this Winnipeg Jets club is the, is the question of consistency. Mm-hmm. But if you can do that, then, then this team is going to win more games than they lose. And, and I think by a significant margin because of the manner in which they played, which they played as a collective team group. And again, Nate Schmidt, unfortunately for him, did get injured. And so he did deal with an injury throughout the course of training camp which i thought had him a step behind and to be honest with you as you think i said i think you said on wednesday and i agree I with you I, I would imagine dilly hanola probably would have maybe started that game just to give schmidt another couple of days to to heal up and and kind of get back into a rhythm a little more significantly instead of just throwing him into it so look i mean that's that's part of the 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 reality of the nhl is that you have to deal with guys who are sometimes not at a hundred percent as but i think yeah, ultimately, Drew, I, I, it's hard to criticize the effort because it was overall there. And look, Connor Hellebuck needed to be better. I mean, the first goal was unfortunately just an unlucky bounce for where it landed. But, you know, the third goal, even though it was in, people were saying it's a knuckle puck, I thought it was one that he could have had. And where was he on the empty net goal? It wasn't even on the ice, for God's <laughs> sakes. Well, and, you know, just going back Very to clever, you know, talking about Nate Schmidt, and I think that was overblown. Yes, he made a mistake, whatever. Um, you know, you wonder like who would be the next defenseman up if he does continue to struggle though, or, or deal with a nagging injury. Like, would it be Declan Chisholm or would it be Logan Stanley? Like I would rather see Chisholm. Uh, I agree. But right now guys, like, you know, it shows you, you know, how nice it would be to have a Vili Hanala in the lineup because there would be no question who would be going in for Nate Schmidt on the right side. Right. Mm-hmm. So 
yeah, I mean, you know, the Jets do have to be better defensively. But again, it's one game. I mean, look at the Edmonton Oilers. They got smoked 8-1 um, the other night. The same night uh, the Jets played the Flames on, on Wednesday night, right? So, like, I think we we have to take, you know, these early games with a bit of a grain of salt, right? Like you, like you had Nick Ehlers, who hadn't played any preseason games. You've got some, some guys that are dealing with injuries from the preseason. And it's just, you know, the nature of the early part of the game. You tend to see kind of more wild, right? Another game, uh, the, the Leafs beat the Habs 6-5, right? So, like, I, I just think, like, you know, you know, they're still working some things out. There's new players, you know, in the system. We talked about the LA Kings, but they look fine. I mean, Rasmus Kupari was maybe mm-hmm. the most impressive to me. And you can see that that fourth line is probably going to contribute more offense than when we, they had Kevin Stenland and, and Saku Manalainen and Axel Janssen Fjallby uh, mm-hmm. on that fourth line. Even though, shout out to Axel Janssen Fjallby, nice little pass to Brad Lambert for the goal yesterday for the Moose, right, Dave? That was their uh, first or second goal of the game. I forget, but. Um, to, I think Jeffrey Veal still getting his face punched in. That yeah, was a good. Wow. That was a good tilt a, last night. What there, a Dave, what a what a fight! That was like old school, like Domi versus Probert. You oh, gotta love that, right? Yeah, if you was... like fighting. But you know, back to your point though, Drew, about you know the Panthers, they still have really good forward depth, even without Sam Bennett. And it's uh, Listerainen uh, yeah. who's going to be in that second center role. With uh, it was actually sorry, I was just checking the lines on on our friends with Daily Faceoff. Uh, it's actually Nick Cousins. Uh, with Lister Reinen and Matthew Kachuk on the second line. And then uh, Mackie Samskovich is on the third line with Anton Lundell and Sam Reinhardt. But so, like, when you I have mean, players they have, like yeah. Lundell and Reinhardt, yeah, that's the thing. Like, yeah. the Panthers might have squeaked into the playoffs last year, guys. But, I mean, they're when especially when Bobrovsky is playing at his full potential, it's still a really good team. So, um, I, you can take, you can, you know, talk about Ekblad, Montour, and Bennett being out of the lineup all you want. Uh, but this is still a really good uh, mm-hmm. Panthers lineup. Carter Verhage is another guy that we haven't mentioned. Like Verhage is on the top line um, with with Barkov. And uh, who am I missing here? Evan Rodriguez. Evan, Evan Rodriguez. There you go. He's new to the this Panthers team. So, I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're working things out with new faces and young players in their lineup too. Uh, so, I mean, the Jets know that. They're not going to take the Panthers lightly. No, and you know Paul Maurice is is obviously you know back in Winnipeg. I think our buddy Mike McIntyre sat down with him, and he spoke effusively about his time in Winnipeg and the Winnipeg market, as he always does. He's still, uh, I mean, you know, you, everyone knows Paul at this point in time. You know what he's going to say. You know how he's going to frame it. You know how he's going to uh, you know blow some smoke uh, up some rear ends, but that's okay. People like being told uh, that they're pretty and that they're the prettiest girl at the ball. There's nothing wrong. Love with that me, love whatsoever. me. Tell me, <laughs> <laughs> tell me that you love me tell me how pretty i am but uh, and paul's very good at that but at the end of the day he knows how to still uh, you know he will get a lot out of a panthers team that is you know banged up as we talked about but their forward group is is, is really i think that's the key matchup in today's game is the jets defense and you know uh, you know trying to neutralize that florida panthers forward group because that mm-hmm. forward group is still very dangerous still very uh, you know still very talented and so how do the Jets handle that? How does the Jets with their question marks on the back end, both teams, you know, a little bit of mirror image, not, you know, I don't think this is going to be a low scoring game. I no, really don't hard like, to believe that it would at least be, it's right? not going to be on the Panther side. <laughs> like, like for the, I, I think the jet, what I'm saying is I think the Jets are going to score some goals this afternoon. Well, you know, that's a big question. 5-2 Jets, Drew. That's my prediction. Okay, well, wow. there you go. So that means the Panthers are going to win 8 nothing. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, the, the, the question is, you know, from the Winnipeg Jets perspective, you know, you look at the balanced lineup. You look, you know, is that going to translate 
throughout the course of the season to better offense because mm-hmm. this was not an offensive you know dynamo last season i think they finished 21st in the nhl in goals for if i'm if i'm not mistaken so that is you know an area of concern for the winnipeg jets there were so many games particularly during the slump in the latter half of the uh, of the season dave m where the jets couldn't score mm-hmm. now you hope a more balanced lineup and you know the ability to roll four lines will uh, will will hopefully help in that area, but this still, you know, the Winnipeg Jets team is still a team that I think has uh, is not a sure thing offensively as as a lot of people might expect when they see the big numbers from Shifley and Connor and usually Ehlers if he's healthy. Dave, no, you're. I mean, I don't think you're wrong, Drew. I think that there's definitely a uh, you know space for the Jets to improve it in that regard. But I mean, again, it's hard. We just have to look at we kind of. The one thing that these teams tend to, to say or the coaching staff tends to say is last year was last year and let's focus on this year. We've started anew. So they're not going to, you know, when you ask Rick Bonus about things that transpired last year, he really does tend to just, you know, say, well, this is this year. That was last year. Let's focus on what's happening now. And look, we saw from this Jets club against a Flames team. That's also remember that Calgary team was looking to have a bounce back. And when, mm-hmm. you know, Kyle Connor scored that goal against Jacob Markstrom, you thought, Holy Hannah, this is this is going to be it's going to be Jacob Markstrom of old. But then he 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 played well and he played really well throughout the course of the game. We saw that actually last night in the Moose game, which we'll touch on a little bit later in the show. But I, I think it's it's just again if you if you look at that Jets um, effort on Wednesday night, I really do think it was a it was a really good effort. Again, you're, there are mistakes and you have to try and minimize that. But I think overall. Uh, and the one thing I would highlight is the fact that you were getting it from a lot of op- a lot of opportunities throughout the course of that lineup. And as he's right, like the fourth line is potentially going to be a fourth line that actually plays ten to twelve minutes a game, not a fourth line that plays you know five six minutes with one guy who's a PKer right. who may get up there to nine. So to me, that and that that is going to have a big impact, I think, down the stretch. Not necessarily, obviously, early. In the, it could have a good... You hope, if you're a Jets fan, that it has an impact early in the season. But I think not having as much, um, um, you know, tread taken off the tires of the Shifleys, the Connors, the Niederreiters, the Ehlers, because you're not playing them 20 to 24 minutes a game, might have a positive impact on this team overall. Again, that's future casting, as Spence, you would say. And uh, I'm not trying to look you know, 40, 50, 60 games down the, down the schedule. But I just think like overall, I think from, from that perspective, Drew, being able to roll the four lines, having confidence in your forward lines, thinking that all four lines can score goals. I think that's something that from a Jets perspective, we've been, we've been clamoring, talking about that for so long, right? The idea that you can't just have a top six anymore and just think that's sufficient. And then two lines that tread water, you need at least a a top nine that can put the puck in the back of the net as he, and now the Jets in theory, We'll see what it looks like overall, but in theory could have 12 who could put that puck in the back of the net. I'm really going to be focusing on the Profetti, Ehlers, Niederreiter line this afternoon, boys, because I mean, we've already talked about it today and, and on Wednesday night's postgame show. Like Shifley, Connor, Velarde, I mean, they looked like they were in midseason form. They were the most dominant line on the ice. I think most people agree. I mean, they were finding each other. They were creating space, putting, we talked about the shot volume. Velarde led the way forget how many I think didn't Shifley have four or five shots as well yeah. I'd have to go back and, and they check had, but they had 84 that line the Connor Shifley Velarde line had 84 percent 
Corsi four, five on five. Uh, you know, so in 12 and a half minutes of ice time. So they, to say they were dominant is, is, you know, yeah, reflective understatement. of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, th- I think we're expecting to see more out of Perfetti, Ehlers, Niederreiter. Not saying that, you know, that line has to score three or four goals mm-hmm. in order for the Jets to win the game this afternoon versus the Panthers. But just because of, you know, a little bit of the rust in Ehlers game from missing the preseason games. And um, I think, you know, the fact that you've got Sam Bennett out of the lineup and the Listerainen, uh, Cousins, Kachuk line, is most likely going to be the matchup there. We're not sure, but I think that's a, a huge advantage for the Jets. And, well, you know, that that line, and again, to Dave's point, if you've got the first two lines going, then and then you throw in the third and fourth line, I mean, the Jets are going to be averaging five or six goals a game. It's funny, you know, I was uh, on, on, on X or Twitter or whatever the hell it's called, and a lot of the guys who use uh, advanced metrics and analytics to try and do projections, and they're projections, so you take them with a grain of salt. Uh, there's one in particular, I'm sure you follow him as he and Dave, J Fresh Hockey, and he's, you know, he's, you know, been, you know, rolling his projections and inputting all of his inputs, and he, and every number that spits out at him says that he loved, that his projections loves the Winnipeg Jets, and I think a lot of it has to do the with projections that. had the Jets winning the president's trophy well that's what I'm i think saying. it was at 109 points right <laughs> that's what i'm saying and he can't figure it out but i think you look at it and the, the jets should be a good possession team they should be a team that 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 is able to uh control the puck possession wise and when you control the puck possession wise usually good things happen uh and then it's a question of can the back end hold up and i think that is the giant question mark that is hanging over this team uh and will be for the majority of the season you know can neil pionk you know find the form where he's not a detriment and he's not a laggard on the back end even if he's just uh keeping pace even if he's just say 50 percent as opposed to being caved in same with nate schmidt if the defense everyone expects that the forward group is going to be able to have uh you know a solid uh, solid numbers, probably solid traditional numbers and solid advanced metrics. That's the expectation. Question is for the Winnipeg Jets on the back end, and that's going to be the talking point for probably a, a lengthy portion of this season. Uh, you know, especially you know after Game One, that that that's the talking point, and it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what the talking point is after today's game against the Florida Panthers. Three o'clock puck drop. 5.45, give or take a couple minutes, is the, the Kevin Stenlin revenge game, Drew. The Kevin Stenlin revenge game. The Ken Weeb revenge appearance. I don't know if it's a revenge appearance, but Ken Weeb is coming up next this Saturday morning on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Don't go anywhere. We take a trip to the buffet with Weeb's World coming up next. Bottom of hour number one, we've been reliably informed he's hungry and the buffet had been closed, but let's open it up and welcome to the program. Hang on. This is going to be weird. From the (laughs) Winnipeg Free Press, I've been practicing that all night. And of course, still Kenny and Rennie. Ken Weeb is our guest on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Kenny, good to see you, buddy. How are you? Yeah, tremendous, guys. Uh, great to be with you. I've uh, been thinking about you guys a lot the last few days here with the mayhem happening. So, anyways, thoughts with you. Good to be with you. And, yeah, let's crank that buffet wide open here. We appreciate that, Kenny. That's nice of you to say that. I'm also very hungry, which is obviously not going to surprise you at all, considering <laughs> I'm 240 pounds. <laughs> On a good day. Uh, Kenny, we were talking about it before the break, you know, that the you, you, lo- you look at this Winnipeg Jets roster and the offense – the forward group 
it should be good. It should be fine. They're balanced. They are possession drivers, at least historically they have been. We saw it on Wednesday in Calgary. You were there. Uh, you know, that, that this was a team that, uh, you know, offensively looked to be the, the what we expected them to be. Questions, of course, are on the back end. Is that the linchpin for the success factor for the Winnipeg Jets this year? Getting that sort of reliable and, you know, if not exceptional, exceptional play on the back end from certain guys, but at least be it so that they're not being caved in and they're and they're and they're maintaining their own. Yeah, I mean, I would say the the biggest question mark about this team is how they're going to defend. I mean, the defensemen are obviously part of that, uh, Drew. Uh, we saw that the other night, but I mean, I would say, I mean, it was funny. I got a couple of DMs saying same old Jets, and I said, "Well, how many times <laughs> did you see the Jets give up 22 shots on goal in a game last season? And and mm-hmm. how many nights did you see their power play generate uh, countless high danger chances from the slot area, whether it was Mark Scheifele or Gabriel Velarde? And you know, how many times did you see the Jets, you know, fight back in the third period when down by a goal?" Uh, especially in the second half. Yes, we saw it in the first half, but for the most part, yeah, there were some similarities and parallels in that, you know, some dramatic errors ended up in the back of their net. Yes, that's also game one of the season. Do they have some (laughs) things to clean up? Of course, but uh, I I would say that if the Jets play that style of game, they're going to win more often than they're not, and they're going to be a playoff team. So, uh, I mean, of course, I mean, the, the, you know, we understand that there was a big time maneuver that happened late that cost them when they were tired. I mean, uh, Nate Schmidt iced the puck. That's accurate. Nate Schmidt didn't lose the draw in the defensive zone. Nate Schmidt didn't lose his man off the wall. Uh, was it a costly play in the game? Yes. I mean, this is also a guy who hadn't played since the first preseason game. Uh, I understand folks want to want to want to act like it's the playoffs and that a player should be benched for any minor error. But uh, I'm here to remind you it's an 82 game season. Uh, Errors are going to happen and nobody feels worse than Nate Schmidt about what happened. He wasn't trying to ice it. He was trying to get, he was trying to have the perfect curling draw weight so that it would either be on net or be just inside the goal line. So that his uh, tired teammates who had been on the ice for a minute already could get to the bench. So um, hey, that's got to get cleaned up. There's no doubt about that. Nate Schmidt knows it. Rick Bonus knows it. Everyone else knows it. But um, Rasmus Kapari had a tough shift there too. Lost the draw and and you guys saw it too. He made the right play. He thought he had Elias Lindholm pinned on the boards. Yeah. He finishes his check perfectly, but he doesn't recognize Lindholm spinning off him on the inside position. And... When you've been on the ice for 113 and you just probably exhausted the last of your energy by trying to hit the guy against the boards, by the time he has a step on you, you're not catching him on the way to the net for the backdoor tap. So um, anyways, it's it, a lot of things happened on that play. And yeah, could they have been avoided? Of course. But uh, I know some folks in the chat are asking about timeouts. In the 2017-18 season, they abolished the ability for the defensive zone team to call a face-off. So a timeout when there is a D-zone face-off. That was not uh, an opportunity or option for the Jets. 
Uh, I, I am surprised, guys, that maybe someone didn't accidentally step on their stick and uh, and <laughs> five need guys repl- stepping and, on the stick and, at and the same time. Re- yeah, you only need one. You only need one, Drew. But <laughs> a chin strap's a little loose. Uh, something, you know, my helmet needs adjusting. Uh, the strap is off. You know, yeah. all 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 of the things. So, um, but yeah, I mean, oh, people can say it's rainbows and unicorns all they want, but like honestly. If the Jets, if I had told you the Jets were going to outshoot their opponent 37-22 and out-attempt them 83-45 to in the game, yeah, most okay people are going to be happy with that type of performance. So, uh, of course, there's things to clean up all the time. Players need to be better, but there were a lot of things that if you're, uh, you're building the foundation... Uh, you put down a couple of important pillars in game one, and now it's about learning from the mistakes and seeing uh, what you can do to build on those types of things. Absolutely. And and to your point, Kenny, when the Jets, when Bonjapani made it one nothing Calgary, the shots were something like 10 to two for the Jets and the Jets were all over the flame. So anybody who, who watched that game knows that on the deserve a win meter, uh, you know, it was clearly tilted in, in the Jets favor. And I wanted to ask you about Rasmus Kupari because you mentioned him there uh, you know, uh, on the winning goal for the Flames. And obviously, I agree with you. It's just one game. So we don't want to put too much stock into one game. But what did you think of Kupari? First off, I forgot how big he is. He's a he's a big guy. Like, you know, 6'2", 200 pounds. Um, and, and he played, it, I believe, 11 minutes. Barron was the least uh, ice time on that line, just under nine minutes. Um, obviously, Nemestikov, the other guy. But what did you think of that line? Because obviously, a lot of people are talking about that being the Jets' best fourth line in maybe since, you know, the 2017-18 season. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked a lot of what I saw from the, the trio. Uh, they're also, I mean, as you guys saw, they're they're used in different situations. Uh, they get bump-up shifts because Kapari and Barron are, you know, on the penalty kill, Nemesnikov moving up uh, afterwards with certain guys. So I, I love the burst of speed. Uh, after I think it was after the Mangiapane goal. I think you saw Kapari go wide. Uh, on the left wing side around the defenseman, got a really good scoring chance. Didn't quite lift it as high as he would like to, uh, but that's a great scoring chance. And throughout throughout training camp, I mean, Dave was there quite often. Uh, what we see from Kapari, speedy guy, very involved. And what I like most about his game is he's around the net and around the puck. Now, he hasn't finished at this level, at the NHL level, to the point where you're going to say this is an, an automatic double-digit scorer. Uh, but I see a lot of qualities that would lead me to believe he can become a double-digit scorer. Whether you know whether his best position is going to be center or wing, I think um, the jury is still out on that. Uh, but I liked a lot of pieces to his game. You know, Morgan Barron's a guy who played a lot on the third line last year, so naturally, if that player is on the fourth line after being on the third line previously, that speaks to the level of depth. Uh, both on the ro- on the day to day roster and into the organization, um, you know, you guys know I'm a fan of the way that Vladislav Nemestikov plays. He can basically give you whatever you need in whatever role at any particular time, up and down the lineup, penalty kill, second power play, uh, really physical presence. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think that I think recency bias does sneak in, and I and I understand a lot of folks. Uh, have forgotten that at times during that 17-18 playoff run, the fourth line included at various times Brian Little, uh, Yoel yep. Armia, slash mm-hmm. Jack Roslevic, and Matthew Perot. So 
uh, I'm not quite ready to anoint this group as, <laughs> and I know you said since that time, but uh, there are others who say it's naturally the best fourth line of all time. Uh, it definitely has the potential to be one of the best of all time. And I would say one of the most important things coming out of the game, and of course, the play of the first line is more important, but when it comes to how the Jets are going to perform over the course of 82 and beyond, if they reach their goal, they need that fourth line to be playing, you know, nine or 10 to 12 minutes a night so that you're not taxing the top line and playing them 22 to 24 minutes. And we know Kyle Connor, Mark Scheifele, Gabriel Velarde were all north of 20. And because they didn't play until Saturday afternoon, it was easy to do that for them, but you don't want that to be happening in a three and four and in, you know, in the back-to-backs. Of course, they can handle it at the start of the year, but if you want these guys to have energy and ability to perform and produce in April, May, and potentially June, then you want to be playing those guys you know, in the 20-minute range, but you have, to play the, you have to be able to lean on the fourth line and not be scared to play them against any line, and I think that's the benefit uh, for the Jets in this season is that you're you're going to be able to throw those guys over the boards and not be nervous about them getting caught uh, out against the top offensive line. Now, are you going to be nervous if they're out against McDavid? Of course you are, but you're nervous when your top checking line is out against <laughs> McDavid. So let's just keep it all in perspective. But yeah, I, I liked a lot about that fourth line. Um, you know, could they drive play a little bit more? Sure. But for the most part, the Jets drove play. And as to your original point, I mean, the first period was all Jets until the back-to-back penalties. And, you know, then a bouncing puck ends up on the stick of Mangiapane. And in a situation where it could have been 3 nothing Jets, they're trailing one nothing. And, you know, although they did a nice job of battling throughout the contest, they just seemed to be chasing the game a little bit throughout the course of the of the course of the game and that's difficult to do especially when you're trying to crank up the intensity meter from preseason to regular season Mm -hmm. chasing the scoreboard at the very least ken weeb our guest of the winnipeg free press talking about the winnipeg jets later this afternoon the home opener the jets and the florida panthers followed by the ic post game show and then kenny and rennie so a very busy day for all of us here at illegal curve and ken and sean of course so do we call do we call kenny dump or kenny chase because i think jay bell used to be dump right and yeah, then mike was chase? definitely chase mike is uh, mike is mike, <laughs> mike has shifted okay. over you know anyone who's uh, <laughs> anyone who's seen me on the ice on the odd uh, recreational game knows that uh, i like to chase the puck around so uh, <laughs> I, I have adopted the chase uh, portion of that deal for our saturday column yes was that, that was part of the negotiation that was that was that was in, in the in otherwise the high we're intensity. gonna need a new name drew yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> I, I i'm i'm familiar with having to dump the puck in you know not not the most skilled but uh I did a lot of chasing in my day, and I yeah. And I Drew, still, Mike I wanted do. Drew wanted uh, Mike. Sorry, Mike wanted Mikey and Kenny, but that's obviously way <laughs> too close to Kenny and Rennie. So you had to bring back Dump and Chase. I love it, Kenny. You know, Ken, uh, just over a month or just under a month ago, sorry, Adam Lowry was named captain. Uh, yep. Appropriate, probably that he was in Calgary for his first game for re- first regular season game to be wearing the C. You were there in Calgary. So what was the reception like for you know a, a son of that city getting the chance to uh, wear the C? in Calgary in his hometown with the reaction from friends and family. Yeah, it looked awesome and you know, fortunate enough to be able to write on that topic this week and it was was really you know loved being able to reconnect with guys like Jason Jaffrey and uh speaking with Mark Lamb as his junior coach and 
uh, even uh, you know able to to snag a quote from Blake Wheeler from uh, from our good friend Arthur Staple uh, during training camp there and you know and Dave took some time on on opening night in 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 Vegas to uh, you know share some thoughts as well so really enjoyed uh, putting that story together but in terms of the the reception I think it was it was a special night for Adam for sure uh, he's been talking a lot about like wanting to have this feel normal and I think after you know close to a month it's starting to feel normal but I love that element of the of the you know it would have been special for him to do it anywhere but the fact that he was able to do it in Calgary with you know his mother uh, Elaine was in the building and one of his sisters was there and a lot of his buddies uh, was really was really neat for him and you know as I wrote I mean this is a guy who in one of the biggest moments of his life is thinking of others he's thinking of the coaches he had in the Bow Valley uh, Minor Hockey Association with the Calgary Buffaloes and um, you know he's a guy who you know he loves Winnipeg but he also loves the city where. Uh, he grew up and did a lot of his development. I would say under uh, normal circumstances, I think the 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 reaction would have been a little bit little bit different. It was just so emotional in the building because of uh, the honoring the Snow family. Uh, I think that that obviously took center stage, and not that people in the building didn't recognize what was happening with Adam, but I thought it was you know a really interesting and fun a fun moment for the two players. Being able to be part of a ceremonial puck drop is often, you know, it doesn't have a lot of meaning for people in the building. But you saw the way that Kelsey Snow hugged both Michael Backlund and Adam Lowry. The fact that Adam is a Calgary person, he would know Chris Snow probably better than a lot of Jets. Uh, There was just so much emotion in the building. But when you look at the organizations, when you can get past the emotional element you know, the fact that it's Backlund standing across from Lowry, two teams that didn't have a captain last year and have passed the baton to players who are homegrown and been in the organization. I think there it was kind of a fitting moment. And for Adam to be able to do that in his hometown, Dave, uh, obviously was really special. Um, you know, had Adam been able to, you know, maybe sneak home the game winner or the overtime winner, then you have the full Hollywood ending but the fact that he was able to do that uh, and be able to wear the C in his first time uh, was definitely something very special to him. And uh, he did tell me, you know, in the week previous that, you know, it would just sort of happen by accident. I mean, he could have been in that road game against the Flames. But, you know, when Rick was talking to him about the number of games he needed, he said, I want to be in the last game. And he wasn't planning it himself either. The last preseason game happened to be a home game. So uh, they skipped the Calgary game and, he was able to do it and, and it definitely made it definitely very special for him. And uh, I think he's handled the role well. And, and the other thing too, I mean, he was very quick to point out, it's not just about me. It's not about one person. He talked about how much that, you know, he's been leaning on Josh Morrissey and, and Mark Shifley and that it's a collective still. But uh, I think Adam's done a really good job of being captain. And I think he will continue to do that as we move along here. Uh, Kenny on, on Monday, I was on a plane and I got a push notification on my phone while I was on the plane. And I'm pretty sure I did the GIF that Remus created when you found out that uh, that Jeff Gordon got fired in, in, in New York. Of course, yeah. I'm talking about the Shifley and Hellebuck contract extensions, which to me uh, definitely came out of left field. I mean, what was your reaction? And now that the dust has sort of settled a little bit, how has your reaction changed, if at all, since the news broke earlier this uh, earlier this week? Yeah, the biggest surprise is the timing for me, Drew. I I thought that this was something that could drag on and, you know, 
Kevin Cheveldayoff had certainly let it be known that he was not in any any hurry to be moving on. Like for the folks saying you can't, that would be it would be breaking news if Chevy was in a hurry to do something. Well, I mean, the whole idea of uh, you can't have these players on your roster beyond March eighth. I mean, it's October fourteenth, so it, it was kind of funny in itself. But I mean, we're always looking down the road, and you know, the crystal ball had been a little bit cloudy and. You know, quite frankly, we go back to day one of training camp or technically day one of on-ice sessions when the players spoke. Um, Connor didn't sound like a guy, like a guy who was all that interested in re-upping, but mm-hmm. it's vintage Hellebuck. He, he, if he doesn't <laughs> want to show you his cards, he doesn't, right? So, Don't play poker with him. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised by that. And uh, ultimately, you know, I believe the negotiations with Hellebuck had been fairly strong or regular since August. And we know that's not the case with Mark. Mark told us uh, on the first day of on ice sessions, there had been no substantial discussions. So the fact that they went from no discussions to a long-term seven year deal in a three week span tells you that twofold, the jets were ready to engage and that Shifley was open to sticking around. And, of course, his agent would be sniffing around. We know that those guys were on the market in the summertime, taking calls. That didn't mean that they were pushing to move them. But ultimately, the players, as we heard on Tuesday, had been in close contact about how this was going. The fact that they landed on you know, identical deals, I think, is symbolic for the organization. And I think it's, it's meaningful because we thought... You know, based on some of the discussions, Hellbuck was looking for 9.5 or 10. So the fact that he took eight and a half, it's a deal that is positive for both sides. Is there risk when you sign a player or two players in this case whose deals will start at 31 and will last seven years? Of course it is. But what we know so far, Mark Shifley goes out of his way to take care of his body. and Connor Hellbuck has been nothing but a workhorse. So... Mm-hmm. I mean, it would make you feel a little bit more confident at the end. Father Time is still undefeated. But for this next stretch, when some folks weren't listening, when people like I was saying there is not going to be a rebuild here, this shows you that the Jets are committed to winning in the now. Now, the next part of that equation for Kevin Cheveldayoff will come to pushing more chips in if the Jets show that they can be more than just a bubble team and grow into a contender that's pushing the elite teams. I I don't expect that you just, you don't just sign these two players to be around the bubble or to be in the mushy middle. You're signing them because you're trying to win and your window is widest when those players are in their early thirties compared to their mid to late thirties. I mean, I think that's an important part of the deal. Mm -hmm. And the other part of it that I found interesting also drew is that both Mark Chipman and Kevin Cheveldayoff said it almost didn't make sense to do one deal without the other. And not just the people and the personalities and the fact that they're homegrown signings and all that, but if you don't have a number one goalie and you do have a number one center, you're always going to be needing the other thing. So now the Jets have both positions under control there are no question marks about whether or not you have someone internally that can handle a promotion into that role or if you have to go out and try to trade for one or sign one as a free agent 
two of the most important positions on the ice. And you could even say this too. They just also have a number one defenseman on their roster, which a couple of years ago people were, you know, they thought Josh Morrissey was a top pairing guy, but now he's grown into a Norris Trophy contender. So the three of the most important positions on the ice are now in good hands and on longer term extensions. And they just so happen to be uh, homegrown talents and guys that could potentially spend their entire careers with the organization. And let's not kid ourselves. In a market like Winnipeg, that matters a lot more than in another market where it's easier to attract players. It's a really good point. And, sorry, and sorry, can, uh, go ahead. Just one follow up. Yeah. Were you surprised at the dollar figure on uh, on the AAV of the contracts? Because it, it it seems you know, look, we're, the expectation is that the salary cap is going to go up, uh, you know, around the league and probably by a significant jump over the next number of years after they after the COVID escrow is paid off. So you know, in terms of a percentage of the actual cap hit. It seems like as these contracts get, you know, get move on, the, the percentage is not going to be, you know, tremendously significant. Uh, so to me, you know, the, the long term commitment I get and everything else, I mean, it was a little surprising, but I thought that they both guys left money on the table, which I thought to be particularly surprising. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, like I said, I think there is some give and take. It, you know, money on the table is a relative term. Sure. Uh, what we saw that, it, you know, if a if a Stanley Cup contender had blown the Jets away with an offer for one or two of those guys, they might have been moved. So that's not to say there might not have been more money, but like let's look at some recent examples, Drew. The Ilya Sorokin deal is the best comparison for Connor Hellebuck right now. You know, two and a half years younger, Hellebuck is slightly above. Now, did they pay a full Winnipeg tax? Not really. It's only whatever, two hundred and fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollar difference, but you're buying those late years into the thirties. So I think there's give and take there. With Mark Shifley, let's use Bo Horvat as a recent example. The numbers are very similar to the Horvat deal. So for me, I think it is market value. Now, could there have been a team that, uh, you know, is maybe lower in the standings or a non, could a non-contender have offered, you know, 9 million to Mark Shifley if Mark Shifley puts up 40 goals and 90 points this year? Sure. Uh, you could argue that he left money on the table, but I would say for a guy who is looking for a raise, just got himself a raise of nearly two and a half million dollars well into his thirties. So I I don't know that he left a ton of money on the table. And there, the other thing too is, was another team going to be willing to go to that term? I, I think for both players term was the biggest thing. And the fact that they went to seven years is important. And you know, for Shifley, it's a long time to spend in an organization. Same for Hellebuck. So, Mm -hmm. Uh, this is a guy who came in at 18 and he might leave at 38. Like that, that's, a, that, that's two decades of service yeah. and he's going to be paid incredibly well. And I've said this before, I've written it. We all saw this and, and every, back to the whole recency bias thing. Mark Scheife didn't have a great finish to last year. Injury aside, we know that, but mm-hmm. people have forgotten the emotion Mark had shown at the Dale Howard Chuck um, statue unveiling. And the fact that he spent time around Dale's former teammates and saw how revered Dale was even all this time later, I think mattered to Mark. It's not an accident that his favorite player is Steve Eiserman, but you can't ignore the influence of Dale Howarchuk. And for folks who may not know, 
Dale, Mark was committed to going to the NCAA. He had signed his letter of intent, and then he had a meeting with his mom and Dale Howarchuk in Barrie and was blown away in the meeting, and he became one of the biggest influences in his entire life. And one of the things we know about Dale, Dale is loved here, but I think as Dale's life moved along and he saw how revered he was here, I think if Dale could have done one thing over in life, it would have been to spend his entire career in Winnipeg. So guess what? I don't know this for a fact, but I'd be shocked if Dale didn't tell Mark and express that sentiment to him in one of those last conversations before he passed away. And that would resonate with someone like Mark because of the influence that Dale has had on him. So, and Mark Chipman told me this, guys. Mark is their Dale, the 2.0 version. Of course, there's differences and there are similarities. He didn't want that to happen. Mark has work to do to become a Hall of Famer like Howard Chuck. I know that. Mark knows it. Mark Chipman knows it. Everybody knows it. But as the first draft pick of the 2.0 era, and as a talented player who has routinely been a point-of-game player, he's the kind of guy that could have a statue built of him down the road as well. And that, I think, is the intention of both the organization and the player. Not the statue part. The fact that he wants to be worthy of a statue down the road and bring a championship. That's the other thing. Dale wishes he could have brought a championship home when they kept running into the you know, the, the heavyweight <laughs> the Oilers song. and the 89 Flames. Yeah. So I just think that that's an important part of the story that sometimes gets overlooked. And yes, I mean, Mark needs to round out his game, but there are signs of that already in game one on, on a power play where he chased down a player on a two on one, you know, was that happening all the time last year? No, it wasn't, but it was happening in game one and it's going to have to happen with regularity. And now that Mark's got his money, the only thing that will matter to him is trying to do the things that lead the jets to winning and him producing is part of that but him becoming a better two-way player later in his career, like Howard Chuck and Iserman, is part of the process as well. And I think we need to mention the the game-tying snipe, Kenny, as well. That was a, I'd say that was a pretty decent shot from a guy who scored 42 <laughs> goals last year. But yeah, not I, didn't, I didn't know that Mark Shifley, and that's why I always say that you're the most knowledgeable Jets insider, even though Dave might be the Moose insider. I didn't know that about Shifley committing to the NCAA, and I'm sure... A lot of people watching didn't know that, Kenny. So that thank you for mentioning that and also bringing up the Dale Howard-Chuck Shifley connection because we all know that Dale Howard-Chuck um, was a role model for Shifley and many others, obviously, uh, and he was a very important guy for Shifley. But I think that was maybe something that was underrated, Kenny, that you know Shifley's willingness or, or not just willingness, desire to spend his entire career with one team, right? And I think you know there was a lot of conjecture after the end of last season, with everything that was going on with Pierre-Luc Dubois and Blake Wheeler, it was easy to lump Shifley in there uh, as a guy that, um, you know, maybe was on the trade block. Um, so, I, I, you know, at the end of the day, it was a huge surprise to most of us. At the end of the day, it's just great news for Jets fans to have your number one center and your number one goaltender locked up for seven years after this. And and the question I wanted to ask ask you, and, it, and it, to me, it, it's not necessarily obvious, but because of the contracts being signed in the same amount, and, and the timeline that, that you mentioned, right? Shifley saying that, you know, his camp was not in negotiation with the Jets over the summer, but then we believe that you mentioned August was when the Hellebuck contract extension talks picked up a little bit. 
in your opinion, does it seem like Shifley was only going to be signing a contract extension uh, with with Hellebuck? In other words, Shifley was only coming back if Hellebuck was coming back. I mean, it's a great question, and, and I don't know that for sure. But uh, I also, too, I had an interesting conversation with Kevin Sheveldayoff before the scrum happened, and and he said it was by design. He wanted the players to to take the time. He knew how pissed off they were at the end of last year. And that's a good thing. If you don't accomplish your goal, you should be disappointed. And it should matter to you. And, you know, he didn't want them just rushing with the pen to sign, even though they were going to have a life-changing amount of money paid. Now, I said, like, how difficult is it to have that balance? Because if you're Mark Shifley and the conversations are happening with Connor Hellebuck's camp and they're not happening with yours, you as an organization run the risk of that other player <laughs> feeling like he's not a priority. So that that was something where he said, well, you know, you just needed it needed there needed to be the requisite amount of time taken in order for a decision of that magnitude to be made. So it didn't bother Shifley. And that's interesting. Like Drew, going back to what you asked me about the conversations, I mean, Hellebuck didn't show his cards. Mark mm-hmm. was quite honest in saying, you know, he still wanted to be there. And that there hadn't been any conversations. And and I it's so interesting because the day before, one of the guys used to train with in Gary Roberts' camp, Steven Stamkos, was downright disgruntled by yeah. the fact there had been no conversations. Mark said it with a smile and was just sort of being matter of fact and saying, you know, I'm still open to being here, but there haven't really been any talks. So some people interpret that as Shifley's gone. And for me... I thought that was more of a, you know, olive branch or whatever you want to use as a, as terminology that Mark was still interested, but he was curious to see where things were at. And uh, I think it's interesting too, in, in those important positions for the guys to sign, that's, you know, same contracts, similar to what happened in Chicago, minus the banners, of course, the banners had already gone up in Chicago when you had the matching deals, uh, but that those two guys put themselves together. I'm not sure it was one without the other as because, you know, if Shifley had been offered a huge deal without Hellebuck, you know, maybe he still thinks he has to take it. But the fact that those two in wanting to accomplish their goals of a getting paid and B having an opportunity to win, it's much easier to, to do the winning part with both of them in the fold than if you have one of them and you're trying to replace the other. So I would say it's not a hundred percent, but I do think it was a major factor in Shifley, you know, because the discussions happened later, he sees Hellebuck committing and says, it's a lot easier for me to commit when my buddy has committed because I know how hard he's working and he knows how hard I'm working. And that's something that both players expressed quite candidly at the podium the other day. And you can't ignore it. You can't fake that kind of admiration and appreciation of what the other is doing to improve uh, their abilities when it comes to the craft. Kenny, I'm going to squeeze in one quick question here because we're, you know, on that topic of Mark Shifley and, and, you know, now that he's got the contract, now that that's behind him, a lot of times there's the curiosity and, and your former colleague at the Winnipeg Sun, Paul Friesen, was asking about the benefits of having guys in that contract year hungry for to prove themselves. And now they've kind of lost that thing. So what does... What kind of player are you going to have? Now, the question I'm going to pivot a little bit from the contract element of it is, will Mark Shifley 
you mentioned Steve Eisman being his favorite player. And, uh, you know, you look at Eisman's numbers in the, in the late 80s, 137 points, 155 points, 127 points. But then, of course, the Red Wings weren't winning Stanley Cups. And then his numbers dropped down. He became a more defensive-minded center. Yep. And, the, you know, obviously there were some other players that factored into the Red Wings' success. But Stevie Eisman changing his game and becoming more defensively responsible. The one thing that Jets fans have wanted to see from Mark Scheifele. So do you see that in his game? We saw it in game one. You're talking about that back check earlier in the show, Ken, but do you see that pivoting now that he doesn't have to worry about securing the bag and getting that big contract? He's got it. He's set for life. Well, he was probably set for life before, but now he's really <laughs> set for life. So the question becomes, do you see that pivot? Because that's what the Jets are going to need from Mark Scheifele in that becoming that top tier center uh, for the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Mark Scheifele's never been someone la who lacks motivation, guys. You've all seen it since he arrived on the scene in 2011. Uh, the fact that he you know, doesn't have to prove himself by scoring 45 or 50 or getting 90 to 100 points, uh, I, I don't think that that makes his pursuit of those high-water high marks uh, any less apparent. Uh, but I do think that it will allow him to take a little bit of the pressure off of himself in order to try to have to secure the bag uh, while being concerned that if you go with an all around game and your numbers dip, well, now somebody in a corner office is saying or has a spreadsheet that says, oh, well, Mark used to be a point of game player for six years. Now he's just a 70 point player. And again, I say that somewhat facetiously because there aren't a lot of 70 point players in the NHL regardless, but in order for Mark to take the next step in his career, he needs to round out the other part of his game. And I would argue, too, for a good chunk of the first almost three quarters of last year, definitely two thirds, uh, Mark was pl sorry, not quite two thirds. Uh, I would say that his defensive awareness was much higher than the year prior. So uh, I think we kind of got caught up in, you know, it's, it's a lot like when you have a prospect who's been under the spotlight for so long. When you see someone for as long as we have seen Mark Shifley, of course you're going to see the warts because you're seeing him every single game for 10 or 12 seasons. But don't forget about the positive parts of the game. And I'm not taking Mark off the hook. There are parts of his game that need improvement and he knows what they are and he's working at them. But lots of teams have players and I'm not just talking about Mark. Like, how much defense have you guys seen Patrick Kane play in the last 10 years? <laughs> like, there are lots of players who are offensively gifted who are not Selkie, I don't know, Kenny. I think Ovechkin's going to win the Selkie candidates. this year. I mean, let, let's, let's not forget that simple fact. So, uh, sorry, long-winded way of saying I don't expect motivation or a lack thereof to be an issue. Mark is not a complacent person. Never has been. I don't think that signing this extension that doesn't even kick in until next year will make him a complacent person. That's not how he's wired. It's not in his DNA. Now, could he have produced more if he had been under the prick? Mark, uh, to me, Mark didn't have anything to prove on the offensive side. Like he had been a six time point per game player already, and then just had a career high 42. We've mm -hmm. always known he has a quick release and a great shot. That was apparent at his first training camp. There were Joe Sackett kind of, comparisons uh, so I think it's important to remember I don't think that his production is a concern even though he's signed the contract and I just think that this is a highly motivated player he's always working hard on his game to push himself to be better and I still expect 
I still expect him to be a productive player. I mean, it doesn't mean 35 or 40. I'm not sure. I mean, that's up to him. But I also do think that in the long run, Dave, your point being, if Mark Shifley can become more like Steve Eiserman and the Jets can surround him with other players to pick up the offensive slack so that he can become a better 200-foot player, that will help them in the long haul in terms of trying to be a playoff team and a team that competes for the Stanley Cup. So, yeah, I mean, I think for sure, uh, I, th- I still think he's going to be in the 35 uh, 85 to 90 range. But I think that's also going to be related to the fact that I think Kyle Connor is going to be much closer to the player of two seasons ago than last season. And I think Gabe Velarde, I know it's only one game, but yeah, Gabe Velarde, seven shots on goal. <laughs> they were all high danger chances. Yeah. And if someone who can shoot the puck like Gabriel Velarde can create even three to three to five chances a game, He's mm-hmm. going to score a lot. So if your line mates are scoring a lot, it will stand to reason that your point production will be high, whether it's five on five or on the power play. Ken, we will have coverage of this afternoon's Jets-Panthers game for the Winnipeg Free Press as well as with his buddy Sean Reynolds, Kenny and Rennie, coming up later on tonight as well. Kenny, as always, we appreciate your time. We appreciate your insight. And officially now, the buffet <laughs> is closed. Thank Amazing. you, Kenny. Thanks for having me, guys. And uh, don't worry, Maul. I saw you in the chat room. I'll look to collect that $100 bet at your convenience. There you go. Don't right. Kenny's got eyes everywhere. He's if you think to you're going to sneak anything past them, you're sadly mistaken. Kenny, we'll see you later on this afternoon. We'll do it again real soon, buddy. Be well. Enjoy the, uh, enjoy the day and the weekend, fellas. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Thank you. There he goes. Ken Weeb joining us this morning on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Uh, Before we go to break, Kenny addressed it sort of at the start of of his interview. And so many of you have reached out. uh, I know I've received a ton of comments. I assume Dave and Ezzy have also reached out, you know, the the goings on of the week. And it was a pretty, uh, I'll be blunt, pretty shitty week. Uh, At least that's my feeling and i'll let dave and as speak for themselves if they want but every time that one of you in the chat or anybody who's listening to the podcast or reached out on instagram or reached out on twitter it helped i know it it doesn't seem necessarily like it was a lot or that you you know it was just a quick note of saying we're thinking of you or you know a quick note of appreciation and it it really did help tremendously so i would just want to say thank you to each and every one of you who reached out this week uh you know it was uh you know, just a, a good example of what we can all do in all situations for one another, just sort of lending a hand and just saying to somebody in our lives, whether or not we know them that well, hey, I know you might be going through something. Uh, we're here to help you. We're here thinking about you. We're here to support you. So I just wanted to say to everyone, thanks so much for that. When we come back, we'll do some Winnipeg Jets over-unders. Frankie Corrado is going to join us at the bottom of the hour for more hockey talk. Lots more to come. Hour number two of the Illegal Curve Hockey hockey show even though we're well into our number two already it's coming up next on our youtube channel and all of our social media platforms keeping winnipeg laughing for over 30 years 
Rumors, Canada's longest-running comedy club, bringing you the biggest laughs from the best comedians on the planet. Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, Jon Stewart, Dennis Miller, Brad Garrett, the greats, and all the up-and-comers, too. When was the last time you laughed out loud? Make it a great night out with friends or book your office or birthday party. Even a fundraising event at Rumors. Get all the details and dates on upcoming shows at RumorsComedyClub.com. Hi, Ez. A strange question for you. But why are you lying on the ground being crushed by a piano? Well, Drew, I definitely tried to carry this baby grand piano down the stairs by myself, and somehow I failed miserably. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. That was a silly question on my part. My apologies. Would you like me to call Rolly's Transfer Moving and Storage to help you move the piano? They are the most experienced piano moving company in Winnipeg, after all. Yes, please call Rollies and hurry. This piano is very, very heavy. Rollies Transfer Moving and Storage offers stress-free residential moving services while taking great care of your personal belongings, including your piano. At Rollies, no job is too big or too small. For more information, visit Rollies.com. Hey, Drew. Ezzy, whoa, what a smile. Yeah, I got my crowns done at Linden Market Dental Center, and they whiten my teeth. I see. They're so bright that every time I smile, they go... We have hockey tonight. Do you have a mouth guard to protect those pearly whites? I sure do. Whoa, they even ting through the mouth guard. Linden Market Dental Center covers all your dental needs, from restorative to cosmetic dentistry, and will fit you with a sports guard for that active lifestyle. 877 Waverly. See LindenMarketDental.com. Boston Pizza harnessed Betalytics to test if the game is better at home or at Boston Pizza. The results are irrefutable. Catch the game at Boston Pizza, powered by Fatalytics. So you're a pizza person. You married a wing person. But somehow your kids are salad people. You can't pick your fam, but you can pick your BP meal deal. Starting from $18.99 for takeout or delivery at bostonpizza.com. We did it again. You're on fire, man. There's power in a handshake. After a great game or great deal. It shows professionalism and respect. Two qualities Zapia Group Realty take pride in. You don't build a business where 95% of your clients are referred by others without honesty, integrity, and total dedication to client satisfaction. To sell your home for more in less time, shake hands with Frank and Mauro Zapia of Zapia Group Realty. Get started at zapiagroup.com. Are you dreaming of your very own backyard rink this winter but dreading the work involved? Well, stress no longer because the Rink Guys are here to make it happen. The Rink Guys are Winnipeg's first outdoor skating rink installation and rink maintenance service. The Rink Guys offer free site evaluations and different rink construction options. Plus, they use a custom-sized liner to prevent any damage to your lawn. Lighting packages are also available to help illuminate your rink during those long, dark winter nights. To get your rink started today, visit therinkguys.com. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, 10-15, Saturday morning, post-game show coming up a little bit later on tonight, right around 5.45. Dave and Ezzy are going to drive that bus and bring you all the latest regarding the... You're on mute, Dave, so I don't know what you said. Uh, doing all the latest. Drive on the, the bus right over you. Well, say that again? 
We're going to drive the bus right over you. I won't even be there, so you can drive it right over me. Well, I mean, Drew, it is game two of the season, so you deserve a day off. Thank you, Mr. (laughs) Hey, you're taking Tuesday off. It's not, look, it's, I have a, uh, Laura has uh, procured us tickets to go to a gala tonight. So apparently, I'm not a gala. I know. Wow. I'm a gala. Although, hold on, I have a question. How is Laura? I I, see, I I was going to start this earlier, but I didn't want to derail the show. Yeah. Laura's now back in town, presumably. After our Wednesday That's show, why you when get you thought thing off your face, Drew. That, that those handlebars were going to be removed, but uh, evidently Laura likes the handlebars because they are still on your face. Yep. No, no, she's back in town. She's not living at the house though, so that, I, I don't think she likes uh, the handlebars at all. But uh, okay. no, she's in a hotel. Be, well, yeah, let's I, let's be honest. Can you blame Laura free mustache rides? <laughs> yeah, thank you, Ezzy. Um, but uh, I think she's going. I think the uh, mustache is going to get trimmed down so that it evens up with the beard a little bit later on. So uh, it will be a conversation that I have to have before, uh, like I said, we head to the gala and, and make ourselves look all all pretty and handsome uh, later on tonight. But I know you guys will drive the post game show very well after the Jets and the Panthers. But now, That's a good question. Hold do... on. That's a good question from Spency. Before yeah. we get into the Jets over under for the 23 24 season, yeah. you better check to make sure that that mustache is allowed in a gala like you might have to be clean shaven drew you know i honestly don't know if i'm allowed in the gala looking like this i would imagine uh not i mean i don't think i belong in a gala to begin with they might just by default ask me to leave even though if i'm even if i look uh even if i look appropriate but uh yes a combination of all the different things uh will lead to i'm sure a very entertaining evening uh nonetheless but i will be there with in spirit with you guys watching the uh, post drew will be there dave wearing a ball gown (laughs) (laughs) hey i shaved my back for some i got a shave my back oh, for some reason Might all right well please let's go okay. Okay. over Drew, under Drew, over Drew. under let's go <laughs> uh winnipeg jets over under for this year we do it at the start of each season over the last five years mark shifley has played 357 games and scored 159 goals 0.44 goals per game if he maintained the same pace he would score 36 goals this year over or under mark shifley scoring 37 and a half goals this season I'll start off, Dave. I'm going to go over. I think he's going to be very similar to last year, but I actually think he's going to f- score a few more goals. I'm predicting a 45-goal season for Mark Shifley. Wow, so he set the career best last year, yeah. and he's going to blow that out of the water this year, is according to Mr. Ginsburg. Well, I was yeah. also going to say 45, So, but because wow. he's claimed 45, I think he's going to. I think Mark Shifley is going to go over. That line is all offense. I, I really do think that they're the – the Connor is going to have a big year, and I think Mark Shifley also have a big year. So I'm I'm having him in the 43-44 range. There, well, look at you guys. My number was way low, and you guys just said way over. So I like it. Dave just said 43 to 44 range. Yeah, so he's going to score 44 and a half goals. <laughs> it's very specific range that Dave's going for. Uh, in the last two years, Connor Hellebuck has started 66 and 64 games. This Under. year, with Lauren Persuade returning as his backup goalie. Connor Hellebuck will start over or under 61 under. and a half games. I'll under I, and I don't and I don't think Dave it's going to be much less. Like <laughs> Dave wanted to start with that yeah. one, but as he jumped in there and said, Yeah, sure. come on, Dave. Lauren Brassois, he's going to play around 20 games, probably 25 games, right? It's going to be close, right? And that's why you know you use that number. But I'm going yeah. under. I think I think Shif, uh, pardon me, Shifley. I think Hellebuck is going to start in that 57 to 60 game range. Yeah, I'm definitely going under as well. All the talk this this training camp that we've heard from head coach Rick Bonus, uh, Connor Hellebuck himself, and Lauren Brassois 
would suggest that it's going to be uh, a much different distribution. Uh, his former backup, David Ridge, of course, just got reassigned uh, last week to the Ontario Reign. So, uh, it, look, this I thought you were about good. to say the Ontario Hockey League. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. But anyways, the point is that, yeah, it's definitely an under uh, for me. I think that they're going to try and have some, uh, you know, pull back as we've talked about no goaltenders face played more minutes faced more shots and Connor Hallebuck became a starter in 15 and I also fit what's factoring that in for me as well Dave is Andrew is that I think the Jets are going to have more points this year and be higher up in the standings like I have them third in the central and I could Mm. easily see them finishing second or first in the central so that's why I I think Hellebuck will get some rest and Bersois will get some some more starts down the stretch obviously if both guys are healthy yeah. Yes. Uh, health is, uh, of course, the the overriding factor in all these questions. So let's assume, for conversation's sake, everybody is healthy. Uh, Cole Perfetti starts the Jets uh, starts the season as the Jets' second line center. In his two full seasons as the Jets' second line center, or one B center, if you will, Pierre Luc Dubois had sixty and sixty three points respectively. Cole Perfetti will score over or under fifty point five points this season i'm gonna go over on that one i don't don't know if he gets up to the kind of mid 60s range but i easily see him getting into the mid 50s and if he's going to be mid 50s why not you know high 50s uh early 60s right so i'm going to go over i i kind of i think if perfetti again you know health is uh you know underlying all of this but i think if if he plays full uh, close to a full 82 game season he i have him kind of in that 55 to 60 point range yeah, I'm with Azzy. I mean, I guess we're we're drinking from the same cup uh, today because it's. Uh... <laughs> well, you both got COVID then. <laughs> well, yeah, like guys, he had he had 30 points in 50 well, games last year, right? So say, like yeah. 50 to 55 points isn't you know isn't that ridiculous, especially considering the guy absolutely tore it up in the OHL. No, I, I think, and he's, and again, one of the things that we saw with him in the AHL was when he moved, when he was playing center was he, event, he figures it out. He, ca- he figures out where and when he can go to uh, those hard areas. And, and again, he'll ha- have that same adjustment in the NHL, but yeah, to me, Perfetti is going to be over uh, that margin, Andrew. There you go. We're throwing up some of the, uh, you can participate in the chat and yeah, give us your overs or unders as well. And we'll throw them up on the screen. In the best season of his career thus far, Josh Morrissey had 76 points in 78 games played. Factoring in unexpected degree of regression, Josh Morrissey will have over or under 71 and a half points this season. I'm going to go under for for that. I mean, look, Morrissey, you mentioned it. It was the career season uh, by far. I don't think there's going to be like a massive drop-off, but I do think there's going to be a drop-off. So I think he's going to be, uh, you know, I'm going to say he's going to be kind of in that 50 to 60 point range this year. Okay, so that's a fairly significant drop off yeah. you're, you're expecting. But, but Dave, you were... But that's more closer to what he's been his entire career. Yes, no question. And Dave, you were pointing to the sky, and I assume it wasn't because your ceiling was about to collapse on you. No, so because my uh... roof's on, my house is on fire. Oh, okay. Well, that's fair enough. We can accept that. And nonetheless, stay stay with the show. Don't you'll panic and leave afterwards. <laughs> uh, you stink over based on your little uh, happy. Well, I mean, look, he's already got was. he's already got one point. So I mean, he's he's basically on 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 pace for eighty two. You got to go with that uh, logic, as that it's going to carry well, forward. But and, no, and I, mean, I obviously hope it's going to be over. But you know, I just pulled up uh, JMO's hockey DB. Like, yeah, he had a forty point jump from his previous career high. Morris, yeah, his he's... previous career high was thirty seven. All I'm saying is like that wasn't a small jump. And again, I'm not saying perfect. I love it what he's saying. He's, right now. he's only going to be in the in the 35 to 40 range. I, I'm saying 50 to 60 point range. That's all I'm saying. You forget like that was 
an exponential jump. That's all I'm saying, Dave. I hope that Morsi gets 85, 90 points. I'm just saying that I think it's going to be hard to replicate it. So that's why I kind of think it's going to be more around the 50, 60 range. Yeah, can I steal fair. that dance at the gala tonight, by the way? Absolutely. It's all yours. Okay. Uh, moving on. Uh, last year, Kyle Connor had a shooting percentage of 11.4%, his lowest since becoming a Winnipeg Jets regular. In the five years previous, Connor's shooting percentage was an average of 15.52%. This season, Kyle Connor will have a shooting percentage of over or under 15.2%. Over. Slightly, though. <laughs> get I, it, get Air makes for great, great yeah. TV and radio. I'm going to say it's uh, right around his number. That's what his shooting percentage is going to be. Thank you. Wanna... That was really insightful. I appreciate that one. Dave, can no, you I, take I over now? 16 or 16 or 17 percent. Like, I don't think it's going to be anything crazy. He obviously has already got a goal in his first game, but I agree with Kenny. I think, you know, Kyle Connor is going to be very close to 50 goals again this year. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting, but will his volume be uh, significant? Like, what will his numbers look like? I I'm I'm gonna say under, but not by much. I think he'll be in the fourteen to fifteen range. Okay, forty-seven, sixty-two, and forty-five. The number of games played in each of the last three seasons for Nick Ehlers: seventy-two, eighty-two, eighty-two, sixty-two, and seventy-one. The number of games played in each of Nikolai Ehlers' first five seasons. Nikolai Ehlers will play over or under 65 and a half games this season. Oh, boy. That's that's really the hardest hitting question, isn't it? it and, and the craziest thing about the last three years, guys, is it's been all different injuries. It's not like Nick Ehlers keeps getting injured in the same area, right? Like, he's had incredibly bad luck. So I'm going to go over. I think he's going to play 78 games. So he's healthy. That, that, that's as he's saying he's healthy. And he's going to be healthy. You know, I think the next spasms, he, you know, were obviously a concern, but I think Ehlers is going to be over that. And I'm mainly saying that because I, <laughs> the Jets need him to be healthy for an entire season. So I'm going to go over. Well, we don't like it. We uh, we can't we can't be the, the show that jinxes folks, Drew. We got to be careful in that regard. But I'm going to go over because I think Nikolai Ehlers got it out of the way with his training camp uh, situation. So, uh, you know, I could see him playing. I mean, I'm not saying he'll never have to deal with anything, but maybe nothing of significance. So you're you're going to go in that uh, 72 to 75 range. Last Over. year, nine different players suited up on defense for the Winnipeg Jets. This year, the Jets will play over or under 9.5 different defensemen throughout the course of the season. That's a good question because Vili Hainola is injured, right? <laughs> so that changes it. If Vili Hainola was healthy... Uh, you might see a bit of a rotation there, right? Ah, uh, nine. Uh, nine and a half. I'm going to go over because I, I do think there's going to be a move, depending on where the Jets are at close to the trade deadline. I'm expecting there to be a move, especially with Shifley and Hellebuck signing those contract extensions. We know that the Jets are going to be a buyer as opposed to possibly being a seller, I guess. So I'm going to go over. Like I, You're going to see Vili Hanola later in the season. I think you're going to see Declan Chisholm come into the lineup um, you know, Kyle Capobianco, maybe he, he gets a little bit of time. I don't know if he necessarily plays as many games as he did last year, but I'm going to go over. I, I think they'll probably use 10 or 11 defensemen this year. Yeah, Dave? I mean, well, I mean, you've got, look, you've, you've got six already. You know they're going to use Chisholm and Stanley at some point. That's eight. He, as he's right, Hainola's in for nine. And you, I mean, 
are they going to call someone? It's a tough number, Drew. That's why we give you the. That's why we let you do it. It's uh, you know I'm going to say under the, the defense actually There's a held up. Why Drew's the, the quiz master, Dave? Yeah, the de- the defense is held up rel- relatively well, so I'm going to go under on that one. Drew's a master of his own domain. Yes, uh, depth scoring has been a frequent issue for the Winnipeg Jets last year of players that were in the Jets bottom six of forwards mm-hmm. the Jets received a total of 58 goals this year from players who are ostensibly in the Jets bottom six of forwards the team will receive over or under 65 and a half goals hmm. ostensibly good word I think it's going to be over just because the depth is improved right like you've got Morgan Barron Dave on the fourth line I think Morgan Barron should be on the third line and Appleton should be on the fourth line. That's a different conversation. I would agree with with that. I like Barron better with Lowry and and Ifalo on on the third. Uh, And then with Rasmus Kupari and Nemesnikov currently on the fourth line with Barron. I mean, that's just an improvement over players like Kevin Stenland and Saku Manalainen offensively because Stenland and and Manalainen were good defensive players. But I'm going to go over uh, in the bottom six. I think they're going to be probably around 65 to 70 goals. Uh, One last Sorry, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. No, I mean, I, I'm I'm a, a, the a inclination to go over as well. Okay, one last question. Then we're going to bring in Frankie Corrado from TSN. After joining the Jets last season, Vlad Nemesnikov and Nino Niederreiter combined for 23 points in 42 games played, total games played. This year, Nemesnikov and Niederreiter will combine for over or under 66.5 points. 66.65 points 66.5 <laughs> yeah i didn't add a second uh, another decimal point oh yeah no it's all good and and obviously everyone knows that the reason why those games were so low last year is because both of those guys were acquired prior to the trade deadline right. just reminding everybody that that's why they they didn't play a full season or close to a full season with the jets i'm gonna go over i kind of have nemestikov in that i don't know 25 to 35 point range i mean if he plays on the fourth line it's definitely going to be closer to 25. And then Niederreiter, look, Niederreiter has been a consistent player over his career. He's usually kind of 40 to 45 points. So I think it's going to be over, not by much, but probably, you know, if let's say Nemestikov's at 30, Niederreiter's at 45. So that would be 75 points. Yeah, I mean, Drew, I think the whole idea is we're going, you've got to go over if you're expecting this Jets team to have those bounces, especially with Niederreiter on that second line with Ehlers and Perfetti. So, uh, you know, right then and there, you've got to have him and I suspect because of the way we've seen Vladimir used on this Jets team in that Swiss Army role that you'll he'll get a bump up as well. So I expect I'll go over on that one. There you go. That wraps up over under for the 23-24 season later on in the air. We'll look back at our predictions. But for now, we please to welcome to the show from TSN. He's a hockey analyst. Frankie Corrado joins the program. Frankie, good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. How are things? Things are good. Thanks for having me. How you guys doing? We're doing fine and dandy, Frankie. We're talking about. We're not doing as well as Drew, Frank, because Frank's going to a gala. Pardon me, Drew's going to a gala dinner tonight <laughs> that he just told everybody about. So we're we're doing well, but obviously Drew's rolling in a much more uh, yeah you know, uh, highfalutin crowd. Yeah, no kidding. And I bet you know what? If he didn't pay for the tickets, that's even better. <laughs> yeah, now now i like where you're thinking frankie that's exactly right but my wife was the one who decided to uh pony up the scratch for this one so i'm just there i'm just there as arm candy i mean you would think she'd be able to get some better arm candy but uh <laughs> nonetheless she was willing to take me with her which i appreciated 
obviously Frankie decided to we welcome you to the program, talk about the Winnipeg Jets a little bit, talk about the league as a whole as the first couple games of the season are underway. You know, what I want to start with, I mean, you 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 know this better than than anyone having with your NHL experience and everything else. You know, when a team goes from being a top heavy team, you know, where they're really being driven by one line or two lines versus a team that then becomes sort of a team that relies more on depth and, and has increased depth throughout the lineup. How does that change sort of the the perception, you know, within the dressing room? Uh, you know, I'm fascinated by that because here in Winnipeg, the Jets have always been sort of a team with a strong top six and then a weak bottom six. And this year, the you can see that it was an emphasis to get more depth within the forward group. How does that dynamic change maybe a dressing room? Hey, I mean, listen, it's pretty obvious that the personnel has a lot to do with that. And it's almost like the guys that are, you know, in the bottom of the lineup or the middle of the lineup, you almost need to see them take a little more ownership in the team. So it's not looking at the first line to get everything done at every time, or it's not sitting there on the bench thinking, okay, the power play better score now, because if they don't score, I don't know how we're going to get one. It seems like the teams that are really good year after year and the teams that sort of score by committee and they score lower in the lineup, they get contributions at big times from guys like on the third line or every once in a while, it's like a fourth line goal and the second line just seems to play pretty consistent. And so, you know, to kind of turn that over to the jets, right. When you see the moves that they made now, so Dubois is out, but I have follows in Velarde's in and you're like, you're thinking, okay, there's the personnel change that gives me two options lower in the lineup rather than one player higher in the lineup and with the new guys coming in, I would say it, it almost works like this. Guys that have been there for a long time, they're almost like programmed to think a certain way where it's where, what I just talked about. It's like the big boys got to go out there. They got to get the goal. They got to lead the way. But the fresh blood coming in, they're not thinking that way. They're thinking, I really want to impress this coach because I want to play a lot. I want to sign a new contract here and stay here for a long time. Like, you have some other factors at play when there's some new, you know, fresh mindset um, being implemented into the lineup. And I think it's very appropriate for where this Jets team is at, um, you know, to score by committee and have contributions lower in the lineup. And with the young guys coming in, it's like, I want to be a big part of this team, regardless of whether I'm on the third line or, or what my role really is. You know, Frank, we obviously want to get, you know, back into to Shifley and Hellebuck, but wanted to ask you about the defense because obviously you played uh, defense in the NHL and, you know, there's been a lot of credit there, at least in Winnipeg uh, amongst Jets fans. And I guess, you know, us, we were a little bit surprised that there weren't any moves on, on the back end, not that the Jets top six defensemen are, are, you know, below average or anything like that, but just based on the fact that at times that was the Achilles heel of this team. And specifically, I wanted to ask you about, you know, this, uh, what comes up a lot here in Winnipeg is this issue of the Jets having too many undersized defensemen, which, by the way, I don't agree with, right? You're six feet, which is kind of average height for an NHL defenseman. But when you when you look at some of the teams that have been successful in the NHL playoffs, like, you know, whether it's uh, Vegas or, or St. Louis with guys six foot three, six foot four, that's been a criticism with guys like Neil Pionk and, and Nate Schmidt, who aren't, aren't the biggest guys. And a lot of people are, and here in Winnipeg at least, are clamoring for for some from some bigger defensemen, and we should mention Brendan Dillon's a big boy, 
Uh, Logan Stanley's a big boy when he's in the lineup. But he's a very big boy. What, what, is, what is exactly? <laughs> but what is your kind of thought on that? Because I think it's pretty ridiculous uh, that a lot of people talk about that. Because first off, Morrissey and and Pionk, I mean, they're six feet. It's not like they're, you know what I mean? Like that to yeah. me is not. It's not exactly small or five eleven, whatever it is. I'm five nine, so I, I mean, if I'm if I'm complaining <laughs> about guys' heights, I you mean, got a big kinda, heart though. Big yeah, heart. I got a big heart. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, but like yeah. what? Like I'm sure his you've doctor heard calls that. it an enlarged heart, not a no, big heart. Yeah, a baboon heart. But Frank, what? Did, what? Did, I'm sure you've heard that too. That's been a bit of a a knock on the Jets that the, you know they're they've got too many undersized defensemen, especially on the right side there with uh, you know Pionk. Yeah, you know what? It's it's funny. We did we did a little exercise on Sports Center a little while back where my producers asked um. Can you, like, if you were going to play all seven of the Canadian teams, pick out one weakness or the biggest weakness for all seven of those Canadian teams. When I got to the Jets, I was thinking about it, like, they still have offense, they can score goals, they're deeper up front than they probably were last year, and where where the, the weakness lies is on defense, but what exactly is it? You can't just say it's defense, right? And I looked at it and I said, well, Josh Morrissey's an elite puck mover, and I said, after that... I think there's a little difficulty as far as moving the puck out of their zone. And when that happens, then you get into a situation now where guys that are somewhat smaller, like you mentioned, like not somewhat smaller, but average, like average size, they get hemmed in. And like every team would love to have the Vegas Golden Knights blue line because they're all monsters. They can skate really well. And they're all, they all move the puck quite adequate. And there's actually some guys on that team, when you think about Theodore and Petrangelo, that are elite puck movers. The problem is, those guys are not available, right? <laughs> like, they're just they're just not out there. And, and you look at the, the premium that teams have paid over the last couple years to acquire those guys in free agency, it's very difficult. Like, I, I look back at this year, Luke Shen got, he got three years, I believe, at 2.75. Like, he was with Toronto. Toronto would have loved to keep him. They can't pay him that kind of money. They tried to get Radko Gudis. He ended up getting $4 million a year in Anaheim. Like, are you going to pay Radko Gudis $4 million and attach term to it? Ah, I, I mean, it, it's the term <laughs> that would scare teams away, right? And, and so we're seeing, you know, Erica Branson last year. He got a lot of money, and I think a lot of people looked at that and said, okay, teams are placing a priority on these big, strong, rugged defensemen who can move the puck fairly decent, who can skate fairly decent. And then you look back at this, you know, this past free agency and a guy like Shane Gostaspear, guy like John Klingberg, Matt Dumba, those guys all got one year, but all the big guys, they got term attached to it. So teams are really valuing this kind of stuff. And just, you know, speaking from my own experience. So, you know, when I played, I was six foot one, I was 195 pounds. I was a guy that I thought did everything fairly decently, but nothing great. If I could go back in time and pick one thing that I could do really, really well, it would be like being really strong in my own zone because I I know like I could really carve something out and and just have a little bit of a niche that way. Um, With that being said, like there are some bigger bodies here, like Dylan's a big body. I think Nate Schmidt is even a, a fair, like, Sandberg is not a small guy like there there still is that but to to go out and say that you know we need to bring in the monsters who can skate and move the puck yeah so does everyone else and they're not available to you so sometimes you just got to work with what you got and hope that they can play at the highest possible level they can 
TSN hockey analyst Frankie Corrado is our guest Saturday morning. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Reminder, later on tonight, just before 6 o'clock or thereabouts, the Illegal Curve postgame show following the Jets and the Florida Panthers. Now, Frankie, the big news here in Winnipeg, the big news around the NHL, of course, were the signings of Connor Hellebuck and Mark Scheifele to those seven-year dual extensions or identical extensions. What can that do for the room? Because we know that that could have obviously very easily, especially here in Canada, become a distraction. In Winnipeg, we talked about it with them at the beginning of training camp. It was left alone. But the reality is, especially once you start traveling on the road, that's anything anybody's going to want to talk about. From a, from a player's perspective, what kind of, first of all, what kind of boost can that provide? And also removing that element of distraction from the team, what can that do for the, for the guys in the room? I think, I think it's massive like huge because, you know, for all those guys in the room going into this season, it's hard not to hear the chatter. It's also hard not to put two and two together. And I'm, like guys aren't stupid. So guys can understand that, you know, there's, there's two big names in our dressing room that are unrestricted free agents. And, you know, one of the players has, has very bluntly indicated he just wants to play where he thinks he can win a Stanley cup. And if he wasn't going to resign in Winnipeg, you're thinking, all right, that guy, like, I'm going to take his word at face value. He does not think we can win a Stanley Cup here. So if that, if those deals didn't get done, that was going to loom over the dressing room. And guys, you know, like you're at the back of the bus or you're at meals and you're thinking, man, what, what are these guys going to do? Like, what's the team going to do? What are these guys going to do? It's something you keep thinking about and you're not sure, okay, what direction are we actually going in? Are, are, are we heading for a rebuild or, you know, or, like, how, how are we going to make this work? How are we going to be a good team? For them to announce the signings when they did would be one of those things where the guys all come in the room the next day and it's like, we're doing it. Like we are, we are not giving up hope on this thing. We're going to try and make something happen. Our two biggest names, our two superstars that have been here for a very long time, they're in here with us. Like, I think it's a massive boost for the team and it just eliminates all that questioning as far as what direction they're going to go. Um, and, you know, I, I said it on SportsCenter I give a lot of credit to Rick Bonus, and yes, Chevy, I'm sure like he did a lot of heavy lifting there, getting the, the contracts done, but you know, a GM can throw bags of cash at a player and say, Hey, I want to pay you X amount of dollars. Doesn't necessarily mean the player, you know, wants to play out what's going on within the organization, but you know, like as, as a guy, like I played for Rick Bonus, he was the assistant coach in Vancouver, like, everyone seems to really like playing for this guy. He tells you exactly what you need to hear, not exactly what you want to hear. He commands a lot of respect. And if it was a different coach and the players weren't sure about, you know, how he conducts himself, how he communicates, um, you know, how these guys are going to do things on a day-to-day -day basis or the vision of the team, they probably, you know, they probably would test, test their chances in free agency. But the fact that Rick Bonus is there and he's establishing a certain, and I'll use the the, the, the buzzword culture, he's establishing a, a certain culture. Um, you know, I think that's a big reason as to why those guys decided to stay. And quite frankly, everyone in that dressing room is going to be better off for it because now there's no guessing. There's no half in, half out. It's go time and it's trying to make the playoffs and your best players are all the way in with you. Frankie, you, you you were a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs when Mike Babcock was the head coach. Are you surprised that he seems to have learned nothing and is now again out, 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 of, out of work? You're shaking your head already. I'm not surprised at all. That's, that's who he is. He was never going to change. 
And I thought Brian Hayes summed it up on overdrive perfectly. And, you know, so he gets fired. There's no repenting on everything that he did over the years. He got every last dime from the Toronto Maple Leafs and pro and had a verbal commitment that he was going to sign with the Columbus Blue Jackets before that last paycheck from MLSE even cleared. The, the, this guy faced no consequences for any of his actions. And quite, quite honestly, like the stuff you hear about, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so many more things that'll never come to the surface because guys just don't want to deal with, you know, all the spotlight that comes with it. But that's exactly who he is. He only cares about himself. I said it on the radio here in Toronto, and I'll say it again. He's, he only cares about himself. Um, he's just, he, he's a genuinely bad person. And he, quite honestly, he got what he deserved. It was a, it's a garbage move, what he did in Columbus. There's plenty of garbage that he did in Toronto and Detroit. Um, he's never learned his lesson. And I would tell this right to his face if I ever got the chance to talk to him again. Why was he able to get so? Was he a good coach? I mean, obviously, bad person. Okay. You know, was he yeah, a good yeah. coach? Like, he had so much success in Detroit. Was that a function of the players or was that a function of his coaching? I, I think they actually won in spite of him. Okay. But, and, and they probably should have won more uh, with him there. But I, I will give him this. Okay. If, if the four of us are sitting in a room and he's got a screen up and he's got some hockey clips, we will all learn something about the game. Okay. We'll learn something. He can break it down for us. He can tell us exactly what's happening. I think he's quite smart that way. And that's what makes it so much of a shame and makes it like so sad because he can positively impact so many hockey players and, and just be such a positive influence on them. But he has this massive ego, this power trip garbage that he has to instill upon everyone um, you know, and as far as like running a practice, he can run a 35, 40 minute practice, like so good. And, and you just, you know, you get off the ice and you're like, man, that was great. It was crisp. It was efficient. Uh, loved everything about that. Those are the two areas where he's an incredible coach. As far as communicating with players, he's terrible at it. I think at times we've seen throughout his career where he's very stubborn in the sense that he refuses to make adjustments to teams and it's because his ego is so big. And it's like one of those things where he's like, no, they adjust to me. I don't adjust to them. He's gotten burned by that many times in the playoffs before. Um, but man, like you can really learn something about the game if you sit down and watch some video with him. So that, that's why, like, I really do think it's such a, a shame and it's so sad um, that he, that he continues to act the way he does because you know, he could make a lot of people much better hockey players if he if he actually did care. And it's like you said, Frank, like he might have had a lot of success, uh, you know, in the NHL and internationally with Team Canada. But at the, at the end of the day, he's not a good person. And he blew probably his last opportunity to be a head coach. Like, I think you'd agree. Like, he's not there aren't going to be you know a handful of teams that are saying, Oh, we got to bring Mike Babcock in. Like, I well, think no, that's that sailed now <laughs> that it's over, right? That's so, it so now. He, like, he had an I opportunity, which he probably shouldn't have had in the first place. Right? No. And like, I can't imagine with all the heat that the brass in Columbus face, whether it was JD or whether it was Yarmo, who wants to deal with that? Right. Like, you, you know, as a general manager, your, your margin for error is, is fairly thin to begin with. And you're going to go out on a limb for, for that guy. Like if I'm Yarmo, or if I'm JD, I'm thinking, 
I put my reputation on the line for this guy to go act like a piece of garbage and yeah. do that. And I trusted him and, and other people. Like, I was listening to that Columbus news conference. Um, I believe it was the day of free agent frenzy. So I was at TSN. And the way that day works, everyone's in Studio 6. The big studio you see, like Duffy leading the panel. Everyone's in there. I was in a different studio with Lindsay Hamilton because we were doing the big board. So it's a big digital studio. And we're getting ready to go to air. And I have the Babcock, uh, not the Babcock press conference, but the Yarmo JD one up. And they said something. And I think I like spit my water out. And, and they said, <laughs> yeah, we, you know, we got a lot of character references. And, you know, everyone we spoke to just had the, the best things to say. And I was thinking, who the hell did you talk to? Because I've never heard anyone say anything good. Um, and so, you know, like th those guys put their reputations on the line for him and they got burned with it. So I, I highly doubt anyone's going to be willing to put their reputation on the line again for that guy. What, yeah. Did he, did he, I mean, Mike Commodore, who's been on our show many times before is vocal about, uh, uh, how, how bad of a person Babcock is, you know, did he go after superstars as well? Or did he just try and, was he a bully and he went after the low hanging fruit? Oh, I mean, he's a, he's a bully. Like he definitely goes after the low hanging fruit and you know, you, but look at what he did to, I mean, listen, we don't need to rehash old stories. It's not my story to tell, but obviously right. Mike Medano was one right. of the greatest American born players of all time, bonafide sure. superstar for a long, long time. Like he went after Medano, he went after Jason Spezza and Jason Spezza, of course, was, you know, at, at the last couple years of his career, but you know, like that's that's a big name guy. Like that's a that's a well respected. Mitch Marner guy. too, right, Frank? Yeah, yeah Mitch, Mitch Marner, Marner yeah. exactly. So like, yeah. and and you know what? Like, there's other stories that that will never come to light. Like I think of poor Johan Franzen and the stuff mm -hmm. that he had to deal with with Mike Babcock. Like that's not a scrub either. So you know, he he did it to star players. He did it to guys that had no power on the team. Um, he just you know, he, I, I I don't know why, but for some reason he really enjoyed the intimidation and the bullying and the thing that really rubbed me the wrong way. And I've explained this in the past and I'll say it on your show. He won't tell you a straight up answer face to face. And people like to equate him with old school hockey. And it's not old school because I played for John Tortorella, who's as old school as it gets. And Torts will come right up to your face and tell you you're playing like garbage and, and you're taking a nap on the ice but he'll come right up to your face if you make a good play and he'll tell you that was an unbelievable play and great job. And you see torts. Like I saw torts when I was playing for Pittsburgh. I saw him when I was playing for Toronto. We, you know, we get, we get the, we dap it up. We, you know, we hug a little bit. Right. <laughs> and, and, and that's the kind of relationship you can have with a guy like torts where he tells you, like I said, with bonus, he tells you exactly what you need to hear, not exactly what you want to hear, but you respect it. Babs would never do that. He wants to give you some roundabout way or excuse or not, not give you the time of day. It, quite honestly, it's quite cowardly. Um, and that's the thing that rubs people the wrong way. Old school is not a problem. Demanding is not a problem. Um, but, you know, it, bullying and intimidation, that, that, that is a problem. And, and that's, you know, that was what he was doing. 
and and we'll get away from Babcock. It kind of turned into the Mike Babcock show there, uh, Frank. But <laughs> you guys got get... me going. You guys, yeah, no, no, no. We, fired no up. We, love, we love your answers. It's just, uh, uh, you know, just we got to get away from Mike Babcock because uh, let's be honest, none of us are fans of his. Um, <laughs> and and the one good thing I would say about Columbus was that our good friend Dave, um, especially developed a really close relationship with Pascal Vincent. So that, the good thing to come out of that was that Pascal got his first NHL head coaching job. So I just wanted to throw that in there. But I wanted to ask you, getting back to defensemen, um, because some of these contracts that have been signed, um, you know, make a lot of sense. But I, th- I wanted to ask you kind of, and, and the ones I'm talking about, Devon Taves signed the long-term contract with Colorado. Um, Owen Power also recently signed his long-term contract. And then and that was... Um, you know, preceded by Rasmus Dahlin, who obviously got the big $11 million a year contract. And I wanted to uh, ask you again, because you played in the NHL specifically as a defenseman and, and now as an analyst, what you're seeing, like we've been seeing a lot of defensemen getting paid. And obviously, you know, there's guys like Adam Fox and, you know, there's many others, Kiel McCarr. I mean, we could go through, you know, 10 defensemen that are making over, you know, five or $6 million a year. But how, how do you, like, is that a sign that, you know, we're, we're trans like, is that just a sign of how the game has changed to more mobile kind of roaming defensemen? And then, and when you have these type of defensemen, obviously more so for Owen Power and Rasmus Dolly and then uh, Devon Taves, who is more of a defensive defenseman, but is that just a sign to, for you, how the game has changed over the last three or four years that how Dom, when you have that kind of stud dominant defenseman, I mean, you, you, you got to pay those guys the same amount, if not more than your best forwards. Yeah, it's funny. So I was having this conversation with someone yesterday. And so the Devon Taves contract comes through and I'm looking at the price and I'm like, it's a pretty good price, right? Like I, I would pay that guy that, you know, I think it was 7.25, something like that. Like I, I, I would pay him that any day of the week. And we were talking about, you know, these contracts that defensemen are getting. And I said, it's almost like a pay structure that you would see on like Wall Street in New York. Or, or Bay Street in Toronto, where it's like, here's your entry level deal. You do good. You hit your, you know, you hit your numbers and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And here's your, your second pay grade bump. And then here's your third pay grade bump, right? It, it just seems like, well, first of all, I think it has to do with inventory. Take a look at the UFAs every year. It just seems like the guys that are very coveted are just not available. So when you hit a home run, and you draft a guy or you hit a home run and you trade for an RFA like Devon Taves was the Colorado essentially stole him and they do well with your team. I think the first thing that comes to mind is lock this guy up long-term. Let's not take any chances, right? Like we just saw with Jake Sanderson as well, where, you know, he was going to be an RFA, but if you know what you got and you know, you want it there for a long time, you don't need to start playing this cat and mouse game where it's like, okay, we're going to bridge you or we're going to try and squeeze you. Then we're going to do, it's like, listen, man, you want to play that game? Go look at what's out there. And no offense to the guys that are out there that hit the UFA market, but they're not game changers. They're depth pieces, right? Like, so Justin Hall is a player I'm very familiar with from my time in Toronto, right? He's a third pair guy, probably pretty good third pair guy. Makes $3.4 million out there. But that's not Devon Taves, that's not Jake Sanderson, it's not Petrangelo, it's not Theodore, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's just, there's, we're, we're seeing the lack of high-end elite defensemen hit the open market. And you can try and make those trades, but any team that thinks they have a chance at winning, they're not giving up a number one defenseman. It's just not happening. So really what needs to happen now is 
you need to draft well. You need to hope the player develops. And obviously the team plays a part in developing that player. And don't play the cat and mouse game. Like Shane Pinto right now in Ottawa, like I'm not going to call it a cat and mouse thing. The money should have been there for him. But you play with fire and you're going to get burned. So, you know, you, you almost go about it and say like, okay, here's your fair market value. We'll maybe give you a little bit more just to reward you, but you're staying here and you're staying for eight years and we're not even thinking about getting rid of you. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where there's just not a lot of high-end talent available on a year-to-year basis. Well, Frankie, one of the things we do here is not only do we cover the Winnipeg Jets, we also cover the Manitoba Moose. And one of the focuses this year is on all the Jets prospects, a lot of top prospects who are, who are in the AHL this year developing. And I was talking to Colin Delia, who just got uh, reassigned recently, and he talked about developing players in a winning culture. So from your perspective, as a guy who played in the NHL and the AHL, how important is that, that winning culture, in addition to developing, to give those guys that opportunity to jump to that next level? I actually think that's such a good point. And, you know, I think a lot of people look at the AHL and the prospect pools and say, don't have any old guys on the team, no vets, all 20 years old, play them 20, 25 minutes a night. You know, we need to develop the guys. And I disagree with that. I think there still needs to be some semblance of we're trying to win. Um, You need to earn your ice. And because I went through it with Utica when I was in the AHL, and that was Vancouver's farm team at the time. I was 21 years old, my second year in the league, and we had a good team. And I don't know if it was designed to be a good team, but man, we were a good team. And Travis Green was the head coach. And Nolan Baumgartner was the assistant. And Paul Gerard, rest in peace, was, was the other assistant coach. Was, I love Paulie. Um, but we had a good team. And it dawned on me that year the importance of the games we were playing and the importance of the moments that we had to manage where it wasn't just about going for a skate and going through some pylons at practice and, you know, like people so-called what you would think is development. Development is developing, managing the clock, managing the game, managing your expectations as a player, managing the puck, all that kind of stuff. It can't just be a free for all. So for us playing on a good team that year, I think a lot of players benefited from that mentally because it was like, okay, not only are we developing, but we're learning how important it is to win, play like winners, act like winners. We ended up going all the way to the Calder Cup finals that year. We lost in five games, I believe, to the Manchester Monarchs, who were LA's farm team. And that LA team, like those players, a lot of them are still playing. Like Kempe is still playing. Nick Dowd is, is still playing. So I think both teams, yes, there was an emphasis on development, but there was also an emphasis on winning and the habits and, and everything that goes with that. And I think that's really important to strike a balance between the two. I'm not saying you have to have a whole team of 30-year-olds in the AHL, but you can't just have a team of 20-year-olds going out there getting their faces pounded in every, every single night, turning the puck over 14 times at the blue line because in, in the sake of development. Like development is all encompassing. You're developing skill, but you're developing the habits that are needed in order to win at the NHL level. Ultimately, like when they tell you the NHL is a win now league, you develop those habits in the AHL. 
Frankie Corrado, TSN hockey analyst. Frankie, you made a grave, grave error this morning. This is your first appearance on our program, and you came and you did such a damn good job. We're going to keep bothering you to come back again and again and again. And unfortunately, that's now your lot in life is being a regular here on this program. That's how good of a job you did. No problem at all. And I'm actually doing a bunch of Jets panels this year. So I'm looking forward right to that. On. We'll be covering the team quite closely. Well, you're doing, yeah, you're doing it. it. I think I speak for, for all of us. You're doing an awesome job on TSN. We love watching your analysis. And uh, yeah, if you're, uh, you're willing to come on again, then we're absolutely, uh, <laughs> we'd love to have you on again. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you, Frankie. Frankie Corrado, TSN hockey analyst. A pleasure this morning here on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Take care. There he goes. Frankie goes. We go to break one last time. Then we come back and wrap up with some final thoughts. We're heading into overtime here on the Illegal Curve. Into overtime. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Drew Mandel, Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg. You guys want to watch the Jeffrey Veal fight? Is that what you're saying? You want me to pull that up? Okay, Old-time hockey, baby. Maybe while you're doing that, should we pull it up? Hang on a on, second. One second. Yeah, we, we go. Know Hang on. I got to mute it. I got to move it. Put on your antlers, it's time for the Manuk Moose Minute on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. There Figured we go. by doing okay. that, we'd give you some time there, Drew. Thank you, I appreciate the help. Here's the fight from last night. Dave, why don't you talk over the fight? No, you were no, there play, in person. You, no, unmuted, unmuted. Get it. Daniel's call is amazing. And they will start swinging VL. Contact's good, and they're just going to tee off. Gallant, no defense in this one from either side. Gallant loses his helmet. VL swims over the top. They tie up another couple after the lines. Don't get in there. VL one more over the top. Uh, it was a hell of a fight. I mean, it that really was. was. But like, how many punches were thrown there, Dave? Like, honestly, there might have been. 50 to 60 punches thrown there. I think more than in every other fight in the NHL last year combined is what that was. That That was straight straight chucking. That fight was insane. And, uh, you know, those guys were almost teammates. They both played in the San Jose organization. Uh, Gallant is a tough, tough guy. He is. VL VL is pretty tough as well. But that was a that was an old school 1980s. That looked like Bob Probert, Ty Domi. They have history? Like, like, no, I I mean, I have no idea. I'd have to look. I didn't. I wasn't certain. But like, I just was. And it was crazy because the moose. You can easily find that on hockey fights, Drew. Well, yeah, Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it was. It was unbelievable. I mean, the the moose were up. Nikita Chiprikov, the 2021 second rounder. I will do a quick moose moose minute. Scored his first goal. Kind of a blooper. We've got them all featured, of course, on uh, the website and on IC Dave. And so he scored from center ice on uh, the reigning back-to-back goalie of the year. Dustin that was Wolf. a very weird goal. Like, very unusual. It was, it was, it was like that, that was also like a blooper, right? Like, Oh yeah. It was uh, yeah. Completely random. And obviously was, Dustin Wolf is a guy that many think is the best goaltender in the AHL, right? I might be one of those people, but yeah, that was yeah. Uh, that was, was a weird one. No, it was and it was a weird goal to give Chiprikov his first goal on his first AHL shot, and then of course Brad Lambert scored a beauty on the power play to make it a two nothing game, and then the the fight between All downhill Gallant from and, there. Gallant and, no, no, actually it didn't. They they actually had a phenomenal first period. They outshot him well, thirteen to five this, on, on the yeah. scoreboard. It was all no, 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 Drew, Drew, yeah. you're you're not the Moose insider, okay? Just let Dave go here. <laughs> Anyways, it was just uh, yeah, I'll go quick. But the Moose had a two nothing lead, and the the tilt. You know, sometimes those tilts can can 
you know, give the the uh, the team that's down a little bit of uh, a gas. But the Moose were were clearly had their foot on the gas uh, the entire um, first period. And then, of course, Calgary, who were a 106-point team last year. They've lost some of their players who have graduated, but uh, they're still a very good uh, hockey team. Uh, in fact, the guy who scored the goal, the uh, nemesis of Tyrell Bauer, Adam Klapka, got the game-winning goal in the, early in the third period to give him a 3-2 lead, and then uh, they got another one to make it 4-2. So that was the end of that game, and they'll have a rematch tomorrow. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about it tonight, but I just wanted to get that fight in because that fight was absolutely insane. It was a good chucking of knuckles, no question about it. Later on tonight, the Illegal Curve postgame show, 545, give or take a couple minutes. Is that tonight, uh, though, or is that this afternoon? I would say that it's, it's the this afternoon. evening. How about this evening? Late this afternoon, early this evening? Can the you give me that? does not start until 6 o'clock. Okay, fine. Late this afternoon, early this evening is what I'm going with. Final Even answer. though at the Ginsburg home, we used to eat dinner very early. John Ginsburg, yeah. God bless him. Dad, hope you're watching right now. Um, we we that. had early dinners <laughs> at the Ginsburg home. It was always like five o'clock to five o five. Actually, Richie, who we're going to celebrate his fortieth birthday next week. Thanks for organizing your party on a Jets game day, by the way. Uh, right in the middle of the Jets post game show, Richie. I'm obviously joking, um, but Rich always used to make fun of us because we would have uh, early dinners. Because let's be honest, like some people, some families have dinners at you know seven eight o'clock. So, uh, but in the Ginsburg home, it was always five o'clock sharp. Well, we appreciate that uh, breaking past news update about what you did in your childhood but that was good nonetheless hell of a fun show boys a lot of fun yeah. today want to say a big thank you to everyone who joined us this morning uh, all you in the chat and all of those lurking watching but maybe not chatting if you haven't already done so smash the like button subscribe to the podcast subscribe to the youtube channel leave us feedback here there and everywhere regarding everything you've seen here on this fine program I want to say a big thank you to all our sponsors they make the saturday show the post game show the website a possibility our friends at rumors restaurant and comedy club linden market dental center zapia group realty bethway tough duck boston pizza regarding boston pizza we're just trying to nail down the next date for our live on location broadcast watch party and post game show so stay tuned for more information on the next date coming up in november uh, when we'll be at boston pizza again doing the thing we did this past wednesday that was a ton of fun our friends at seagram's of course great sponsors rollies transfer support these fine businesses because of their continued support of illegal curve hockey four hours until game day probably about uh, six and a half hours until the post game show be sure to keep it locked on illegal curve com and all of our social medias between now and then and we'll see you later on this afternoon or this evening for the post game show after the jets and the florida panthers for dave, enjoy the gala tonight thank drew. you i will enjoy the gala for dave manuk for ezra ginsburg i'm your host drew mandel if it's saturday it's the illegal curve hockey show thanks for listening to this broadcast from illegal curve hockey for more great illegal curve content subscribe to the illegal curve youtube channel Follow at Illegal Curve on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit your online home for hockey in Winnipeg, IllegalCurve.com.